Hello and welcome to another episode of the Pioneer Podcast. I'm Tanner Grace. As always, I'm joined by Ross Merriam. Ross, how are you doing today? I am doing well. New week. Had a nice weekend. Doing a lot of streaming. Finally, like, winning some matches, which is nice. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, wish you would have won one more, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the, uh, the Modern's been working out. And actually, you know, I played the Lotus Box event on Sunday in Pioneer. And we're going to talk about it later in the show. But I found a deck that I actually like for the first time in, like, three weeks. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. You've been excited about decks, and then you play them, and you're like, eh. Yeah, it didn't go so well. But these actually, you know, the decks felt good. I can see where, you know, I'm making mistakes, and that it's not the deck's fault. And, like, I can see where it's attacking the metagame well, and where I can improve them. So all of those are good signs. All right, all right. I will say. Uh, how, how are you doing, Tannen? I'm tired. <laughs> That's my line. You stole it from yeah. me. I want it back. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll play some royalties or something. You, you know, whatever. But uh, no, like I haven't slept the greatest last couple of nights in the fact that, I don't know, we started watching some new television shows. I've been binging stuff too much. Um, I, I haven't been able to exercise as much as I normally do. Uh, I think I told you this last week. I like hurt myself. And so I've not been exercising as much. So it's kind of like messed up my sleeping pattern. So I've been staying up and then, um, my wife had a really early meeting this morning, like 7.30 or 8, and I was trying to sleep in because I was up to like, you know, like 2 in the morning. And uh, the dog was just going nuts. So I had to like get up and go get the dog. She like wanted to go out and use the bathroom and play and eat. And we you know all these things like, God, just do it yourself. No, I know. It's, it's a joke. <laughs> Obviously, I don't mind taking care of my dog, but I'm still tired, you know. And uh, I went pretty hard today. Like I did a bunch of stuff for work. Uh, I just like randomly turned on my stream today, got two huge hosts. So I was like, all right, got to bring the A game. So like the energy came up, you know, like turned the music up. I was like drinking a little bit of an energy drink. I think you saw me having some of it. And uh, hopefully we don't crash halfway through the show like we did a week or two ago. So we'll see. But um, also, uh, I know you, you're not a big holiday guy and you're a Grinch, but uh, happy Star Wars Day. Yes, May the 4th be with you. That That is when we're recording a little bit earlier this week. Yeah, just uh, going to normal. Just gonna piss everyone off and know that, uh, yeah, the, the best two movies in the Star Wars franchise are Empire Strikes Back and Rogue One, and you can suck it if you disagree. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. But uh, And this last one is unwatchable almost. Like, I might watch it one more time and then because the wife hasn't seen it yet, the newest one. I did not enjoy it, so we'll see. Because it, it comes out today. Like, they moved it up a few months and they just put it on Disney Plus, so now you can just watch all nine and movies or whatever. They released it today for Star Wars Day. Yeah, yeah. They released it today, and then they like made some other announcements. The director of uh, like one of the Thor movies and some of the other stuff. I, 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 I'm gonna butcher his name if I try to pronounce it. Forgot, but he's gonna do a Star Wars movie, so I'm excited about that because he's a really good director. Do and they stuff. know what and, it's gonna be about? No, they. I don't even know they know yet what they're doing next, and uh, hopefully, it's just not nothing involving the Skywalkers. Like, just move on. Start a new thing, and even if it's characters from other shit, like whatever, sure, like just do something, do something new, like start, start Marvel moving it where you have a like other stuff going on, but maybe all of it is somewhat connected. You know, you're we're not just following this family that the entire universe revolves around, and everyone has to be a Skywalker to to be relevant. And it's it baffles me. It's like the original writing is great, and then you just did not grow. Sorry, I'm, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, no, no. So, go, go on, go on. Yeah, yeah. So I, I feel like they should start mining the material from Knights of the Old Republic. Because that yeah, like some is, of the is so popular in those games. Darth Revan, right? I'm sure there's a million different characters there you can write movies about. Yeah. I remember my mind was blown by that twist as a kid, even from a Star Wars thing, which you like expect it from. 
you know, like Darth Vader being Luke's father, spoiler alert or whatever. Like that's the biggest cinematic twist in like the history of cinema. To be yeah. fair, his name is German for father. Is it, yeah, it's yeah, I know. I've, 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 I'm aware. I've seen uh, that movie. What, what is that one? Feel, I love that movie too. Feels like they probably shouldn't have done that. Like whatever. And there's got to be people that suspected it going in, like his name is Father. I'm not sure. But not a lot of Americans know German, I guess. We didn't have Google back then. Like, it's the 70s. Or, oh, I'm sorry, yeah. that was 1980, right, when that one came out? Here's the other thing. You know no one knew, right? Like, three people knew. Oh, yeah. Uh, Mark Hamill knew because they told him later. Like, after he delivered the line, that he actually, uh, like, the, the actor who's in the suit when they're doing the scene, and he tells him, is not James Earl Jones, who does the voice, right? Three different people played Darth Vader, by the way. James Earl Jones, I think four, actually, because he had a different... I think there was a different voice actor for one of them. The guy in the suit and then the, the person when they, they took his helmet off, right? You know, when, sure. you, see his, when you see Anakin's face. Um, but the only people who knew were, like, the... Uh, it was, like, George Lucas, like, the other director or whatever. They told Mark Hamill, who was Luke Skywalker, like, they told him afterwards. And they're like, don't tell anyone or whatever. And, and of course, uh, James Earl Jones, who delivered the line, you know, when he, when he said the line. And they put it in later and stuff, too. So, like... Like, I remember Carrie Fisher talked about it when she saw the movie. She was like, oh, shit. Like, she didn't even know. So, uh, you got to keep gotta keep that stuff pretty wrapped down, you know? Like, I, I'm pretty impressed whenever movies can have a surprise yeah. in them lately. Well, yeah, especially these days. Like, I, I know um, when Psycho was released, like, they had signs in the movie theaters telling you, you know, not to spoil it for other people. Um, so... But nowadays, like, you know, everything gets spoiled on the Internet. So if you look for it, you can find it. It's just a question of whether or not you, you know, randomly bump into it if you're trying to avoid it. It's like, uh, I mean, people used to make jokes. They're like, uh, yeah, the end of Titanic's going to be so sad when, you know, it sinks. And people were like, oh, spoilers. And I'm like, what? <laughs> or like when they remade King Kong. And I was like, yeah, this, the end of the movie is going to be so sad. And someone's like, dude, don't tell me. And I'm like, I haven't seen it either, but come on. Like, this is one of the most classic movies of all time. Like, everyone's seen King Kong from, what was it, the 30s? Yeah, 1933, right? I think. I think it was like, yeah, 33, 34, something like that. And like, by the way, it's, it kind of holds up pretty well. It's like still pretty impressive for a movie from... from. I've, ne I've never watched the original. I kind of want to watch some of like old movies like that. Like King, King Kong, you know. I want to see Casablanca, like some of the, yeah, some of the real... Kane. Actually... Movie I've been meaning to watch, and maybe I'll watch that tonight after we're done here, is um, 12 Angry Men. I've actually never seen that one either. Uh, I need to see that one. Um, that sounds like a movie I would like. 12, yeah, just like 12 some guys the... in one room for two hours in black and white doing nothing but talking. Like, that sounds like something I would watch. And I like... want to see, what, what is it, Seven Samurai or whatever? You, you, got, you got me the black and white. It's like supposedly one of the best action movies of all time. I think it came out of Japan, if I remember right, or 12 Samurai or something like that. Um, Gone with the Wind. That, I've never actually seen Kurosawa? Seven I think it is Kurosawa, yeah. I've never actually seen Gone with the Wind, which, uh, you know, we always talk about, like, highest grossing movies of all time. Gone with the Wind is the most seen movie of all time. It has sold the most tickets of all movies ever. And it's ever. not even I, close. It's not even close. There's still a theater in, I think, somewhere in Tennessee, which might have something to do with the movie. It might be set there, you know, or in that area. Uh, There's some theater. They still just show that the movie. Confederacy. I'm not, I can't remember Yeah, exactly yeah. It's, I want to say it's in, it's around Atlanta. It's the south. Yeah, it's in the south, you know, like, so. I think it's near uh, they just, in Georgia. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, they just, they still show that movie. Like, they still have a showing, like, every day or something, like, up on the big screen and stuff. So, because here's, here's the thing, you know, a lot of us are stuck at home. It's cool to be able to watch these movies in your in your home, like, even the new releases and stuff. Like, um, one of the movies that just got released, uh, Onward, maybe? Like, one of the new animated movies or whatever. It got released, not in the theaters, but at home, and it broke every record. Like, obviously, right? 
And they're like, well, maybe we can do this. You know, like maybe this is something we can do in the future. There's still something to be said about like going to the movie theater and seeing a big time like blockbuster, like up on the big screen with like that sound and stuff in the yeah, in the immersive experience, right? There's like, only so much you yeah. can do to simulate that in your home. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like, uh, I think of the last movie that I saw in the movie theater was probably Endgame, like, a year ago. I may have seen a movie since. I'm not sure. But, uh, you, you know. You didn't the... see Star Wars? I saw Star Wars. Yes, yeah. yes. I'm trying to forget it. That was, uh, that was my last movie. Yeah, the I saw Star Wars. You're right. And I'm sure you remember that because I live tweeted it. Yeah, I was going to say, it's still. That was this year, right? It was, yeah. It was a very early God, January. this year has been so long. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, if you haven't found that, if you could go back and find it in Ross's tweet, it's probably hard to find. But he live tweeted himself watching Star Wars. And I lost it. It was like some of the best tweets I've ever seen. But a couple of glasses of wine, and it was <laughs> oh it was yeah. Nice. <laughs> but just thinking back, like let's just act like Star Wars didn't happen because it didn't. But like you can't actually like I can I can explain to you and tell you about my experience seeing Endgame in the theater. Right? It's like utterly packed. There's not a seat open. You know when movies are sold out, there's still seat. There is no seat in this movie. Right? And all the fan service going on. You know, like, all the big moments, like, you know, Cap wielding the hammer and, like, you know, the the death at the end of the movie and some other stuff. Just just in case someone randomly hasn't seen this, whatever. You know, it's only been a year, but just the, hearing people in the movie, like, flat out cheer, yell, cry, sob. And, like, you know, this goes on to other stuff than just big time action movies, but, like, just anything big. Like, um, one that sticks out for me, A Quiet Place, was an actual experience in a movie theater because... It, everyone in there are like, you know, a quiet place. The movie's actually very, very quiet, right? Obviously, it's in the name. But um, the movie theater experience is amazing because you're in this room with a bunch of people, right? And when I went and saw it, it was like really early because obviously my wife really wants to see this movie too. She actually knows one of the actor actresses in the movie who's like actually deaf and plays a deaf character. She loves when they take actual deaf people to play deaf characters, yeah, you know, in movies and stuff. And um, so, you know, the movie is... The purpose of the movie is there's monsters and they're attracted to sound, right? So if you make noise, they come and kill you, right? So in the movie, in the movie, everyone is like deathly silent, right? Like he, uh, one of the main characters, John Cassari or whatever, he, uh, he takes like sand or something or salt, I don't remember what it is, like big piles of it. And like he just, wherever they have to walk, he just puts long walkways of it so you can walk on that and not make noise, right? Like it, to that extent, like little things, like they go to a grocery store or like a, convenience store to like you know find food and they're foraging in there and the only food that's like still on the shelves is like potato chips you know stuff that like you would never touch in a million years because if you open a bag of potato chips you're gonna die like they're gonna hear you that kind of stuff but anyway i'm digressing but seeing that in a movie theater like a packed movie theater and no i mean like people would not sneeze or cough you know they were just deathly silent and then like you know something jumps out at the screen over it was a really cool experience because i'm not typically like a horror fan or like a shock value fan neither am i yeah and like it just doesn't do it for me right like but this movie was like entertaining and like the experience is really good. it if you have to watch it at home like if you haven't watched it and you're listening to this and you're like that sounds good watch it in your living room like late at night turn out all the lights and like turn the turn the volume up you know what i mean and, like really immerse yourself like don't do anything else you know i'm sometimes when i watch a movie i'll have like my ipad up or something or whatever blah 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 but Super good experience kind of thing. I would really not want to go to a movie theater for a movie like that because I know I would ruin it for everyone else. 
Like, yeah, I, I just would punch sneeze. you in the face. I would like it at a, like a critical moment. I would do something really stupid, and everyone would be mad at me. It's like the pinnacle part of the movie, where like at the you know the, the precipice, they're like he's like sneaking around the the, the monster, and you're just like yeah. he's like losing. <laughs> My phone goes off. Like <laughs> yeah, your phone doesn't ring in like six years, and it's like the one time <laughs> you just left it on ring or whatever. You yeah. Know. Like, Oops, but sorry, everybody. Yeah, you, you boo that man. He's stuff thrown at you. It's how <laughs> oh, you yeah. see it. Yeah, yeah, just covered in popcorn. So, uh, do you have any plans for tomorrow? It'd be uh, Cinco de Mayo. I know we can't really go anywhere, but nope. So I have I have like some interesting plans that I'm gonna try to do. Uh, one of my friends who lives in the area, he's been on this kick lately where uh, he's been making a lot of like Mexican food at home because he likes to go to Mexican restaurants. So he just can't. So he's like, yeah, I've been making margaritas at home, guacamole at home, and stuff like that. And so I was like, all right, here's the deal: we'll make some stuff, you make some stuff and we'll trade, right? So he's going to, like, come by tomorrow. I'm going to, like, hand him a tray. He's going to, like, hand me a tray. Uh, did I tell you about last week when he came by after my wife's dissertation and gave us margaritas? Yes. And I was yeah. very jealous. They were... It was easily the best margarita I've ever had in my life. Oh, my God. I'm so jealous. I would love a good margarita right now. It was, like, a $300 bottle of tequila, apparently, that he bought. And he had been saving. And he's like, he's like, ah, screw it. Do you want some? I was like, I'm not going to say no. <laughs> Right. And I'm also going to say yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm also going to say yes. He's like, he brought me two. You know, I was like, God, you're the best or whatever, right? Easily the best part. It was like so smooth. I think the problem I have with margaritas is they have that, that that little kick at the end that's like a little too sweet, a little too tart for me sometimes. Yeah. You know, like all that lime and all that. It's, it's just like, it's, it's a little too much for me because I don't like that much of that tang, you know? Yeah, see, I just want all of that. Yeah. All of it. Yeah. Are, you a, are you a frozen or non-frozen? Non. Not frozen? Yeah, see, I'm more non-frozen, but yeah, whatever. It works either way, right? Um, no, frozen margaritas kind of suck. I am a salt with my alcohol kind of guy, though. I do like salt on yeah, margaritas salt, or salt, salt on, like... I like the uh, I like the half half rim of salt, though. That way yeah. you can, like, you know... Take both sides. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. you got the option. Half rim. Like, one of my favorites is um, we'll get, like, Dos Equis and we'll get lime and cut the lime up, and I'll literally just lime the rim of the Dos Equis and then put salt on that. Or whatever, and then put the lime in the beer, so you get a little bit of salt yeah. with it, and oh, it's so good. I, I want one really. I'm probably have to pick some. I'm going to the grocery store tonight. I might have to pick some of that up. Yeah, I might. I might be doing that. I gotta go to the grocery store probably Wednesday. I could probably stretch till Friday, to be honest. Yeah, she. Uh, my wife was like, "Yeah, just go in the morning." Cause I kind of want to go tonight. She's like, "There might be more stuff and less people." I'm like, "Well, there's not that many people late at night." But I was like, "I plan on drinking a lot tomorrow or early tomorrow. Like, I kind of just want to have some fun." You know, like, uh, we're not doing our typical work thing that we do on Tuesdays. We're moving it to Thursday. So I was like, hell yeah, man, let's go. You know, like, <laughs> let's, let's have some fun. So Ooh. better fire up the stream tomorrow. Yeah, I actually thought about that. If I stream tomorrow, I'm going to be just having a margarita during the stream or something. So if not, uh, if you stream or whatever, I might jump on yours for, for a little while and be belligerent. So we'll see. If I stream, it'll probably, it'll have to happen late at night. Oh, yeah, you have your show tomorrow, right? Yeah, i got to do Versus, and then I've got a meeting at 7, and that'll go to, like, 9, 9.30. Yeah, and your Versus is going to be cool, right? You're doing, like, viewer-submitted decks? That's actually for Thursday's show. That's for Thursday? Tomorrow, we're playing. We're just playing some Pioneer, and then Thursday, we're doing Modern, but all user-submitted decks. Did you see my tweet about it? Yes. I hope nobody sends you anything good. <laughs> go fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah, I hope it's all just dog shit decks. Like <laughs> Somebody already sent me a sweet one. I already know I'm, I'm going to play... Uh, they sent me like the the Gruel midrange deck, right? Mm -hmm. Like the you know Magus the Moon pillage nonsense, but it plays Eldritch Evolution and Kiki Jiki, 
and this weird two and a green three three that untaps a creature when it enters the battlefield. So you just get to you get to. I'm combat. trying to think if I can remember the name, but it's new. Yeah, it's a new creature. Yeah, it untaps a tapped creature, right? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, here it is. Uh, Hyrax Tower Scout. Oh yeah, it's it's from the the last set. Yeah, yeah, I remember having it limited. Yeah. It just untaps any creature. Um, but like you know, you're playing Kitchen Finks and uh, what call it? Uh, I don't. I don't know the card, whatchamacallit. Season Pyromancer, which are good to okay. stack to Eldritch Evolution. I've seen decks, uh, this archetype, play Luka and, like, one Emrakul, and then no, uh, every, all your three drops will just turn into Emrakul. Nothing more yeah. than that. And then Obosh on the sideboard. Speaking of Luka, that card's been picking up. I've been seeing it show up a lot more in Modern and Standard and yeah. uh, Pioneer lately. It's, like, taking over Standard now. Yeah, apparently. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I know there was a lot of Standard stuff. In fact... One of the decks that's been really good in Standard, we have a little bit of that going on in one of our Pioneer events uh, that we're going to talk about in just a little bit. In fact, let's go ahead and just like start moving into that because there was a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff that went over the last. We've got two challenges and two super qualifiers. Yeah. So we got to talk about what's and going on. Box events, so five significant modern or Pioneer events over the last week. A uh, lot of data, and like, I remember last week's show, we talked about how there's a very clear progression, and this week there is a lot of new stuff. Yeah. So I, I think what happened is the metagame has narrowed, or at least it did last week. It narrowed pretty significantly around, uh, you know, Demir Inverter, Lotus Breach, Lurus Burn, Orzov Auras, and uh, Yori and Heliod. And so those five decks, you know, that, that's a good spread of decks. It's hard, definitely hard to tackle all of them. But it really, there weren't a lot of tier two decks showing up. It was those five. And we've seen a lot more new interesting decks that are poised to take on this metagame that said in the first super qualifier it's still lotus breach that took it down this deck uh you know continues to perform well it actually did really poorly in the lotus breach event uh the lotus box event yeah lotus yeah lotus box event was, it, it's a mouthful yeah, yeah. yeah. uh so uh, and I, i'm i mean it, you know event to event it's, it's hard to say but certainly based on the last week like we just don't have enough damping spheres still so Get, put some fucking damping spheres in your deck. Um, but the the deck I really want to talk about in this first event, which is was a super qualifier, is the third place list from Grasshopper Portanto. Cool. Yeah, yeah, this deck is really cool. And if you look through like league data, you see a lot of different builds of this deck. There's Orzov Rally. There's Absent Rally. Uh, so yeah, I am talking about Absent Rally. Um, so there's a lot of different builds here. A lot of different options. Uh, and it it's definitely one of the new kids on the block. I think you'll see the list sort of coalesce around uh, a specific list in the next couple weeks. Uh, I This is the deck that I mentioned earlier that I played in the Lotus Box event. Um, you know, started off strong and then threw a couple of games away with some sloppy play, but the deck was quite good. Uh, I played like 74 of Portanto's 75. I just added a third Damping Sphere to my sideboard over the Myers Grasp. Uh, I will say... When it comes to the rally deck, I think you absolutely need to be playing green and playing uh, Seder Wayfinder. Yeah, Seder Wayfinder seems really, really good for this deck for a lot of reasons, right? Like it helps fuel your graveyard, give you a lot of you know some extra fodder, another body in play. Um, I gotta say this too: the green part it actually makes Fiend Artisan a little like easier to you know stomach and you know a little bit better on the mana. Like you can have a, a land that produces white and green, so it can cast you know your double black spell. And I really like the Fiend Artisan in this deck, even though I'm not the biggest fan of this card. Because um, you look at this, it's got a Drenith Magistrate and a Hushbringer main as one ofs. It's kind of like main deck hate. And did you play both of these in your version as well? I did. 
if I were to play this deck again, I would cut the Hushbringer. Uh, and if you still want to play Hushbringer, I would instead play Takali Honor Guard, because Hushbringer can mess with your die triggers. Right. Uh, whereas Honor Guard doesn't. Uh, but I do I like the Draineth Magistrate quite a bit. This deck probably struggles, at least on paper it looks like it struggles with Lotus Breach. Uh, though, you, you know, the deck's clock is actually more faster than you think. It can definitely kill turn 4, turn 5. But it doesn't do that super consistently. Uh, so... You, you have very little disruption for them. You do have a good sideboard in Damping Sir and Thoughtseize, but having that ability to go turn two Fiend Artisan, turn three, find a Draineth Magistrate, and have a main deck piece of hate um, is really, really strong for that matchup. And, you know, Magistrate can do some other things. Sometimes you like tutor it up to stop your opponent from Lurusing or Yorianing. Uh, in in those matchups, so you know it stops. It does stop companion. I didn't even think. I didn't even like. You know, I hadn't gotten there yet. Stops. Yeah. Uh, you know, light up the stage. Jace telepath unbound. A lot of little things. So you know, you're not going to search for it that often, but it's nice for it to be there. And Fiend Artisan is a, a fine card in the deck. Um, one of the weaker cards, I would say, but still good. Uh, you know, it can set up your plays by you know finding the cartel aristocrat that you need or finding more copies of your drain effects um and it just gives you this like higher density of creatures it can fill your graveyard without losing you know without sacrificing your board position uh and this deck can struggle to fill the graveyard that's why i, I think you really need Seder wayfinder because other than that you're really you're just relying on supplier being artisan can sack supplier which is nice and it, it's actually one of the few creatures in your deck that can dominate a battlefield i had a really strong draw in my match against gruel obosh where I just played Fiend Artisan on turn three for as a seven seven. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it was it was just giant. Like they had they had played a a Steel of Champion, right? And which normally is great against this deck because all my creatures are small. You can't block like, yeah, seven yeah. seven. Go, <laughs> and it was game one, so I had no removal. Like I, so, it, it definitely came in handy. It was better than I thought it would be, uh, and it, you know it makes sense in this deck. Like if, if there was ever a deck where Fiend Artisan was going to be good, it's got to be this one. Yeah. Also, you, you, you're looking at four Return of the Ranks in this alongside Rally of the Ancestors. So just, like, more redundancy on the card that, like, these are, like, your your game-winning spell. You know, when you cast this, like, you're either setting up to kill them next round or you're killing them then. You know, it does, like, the big combo finish of this deck. Like, the reason to be playing all these, like, very small creatures for their mana cost besides Fiend Artisan. So, like that. Also, Return of the Rigs having Convoke, you can do some stupid stuff with this card, right? Yeah, but very early on in the game, too. Like, this card you're casting up, you can cast it on turn three, or like X equals three. You know, get, you know, if you can imagine a curve of like Stitcher Supplier and Seder Wayfinder, and you play your third land. You know, sometimes you play like a Hunted Witness and then Convoke with that, and you suddenly you just have turn three of this board of like six creatures. So, the deck's, the deck's good draws are much faster than you would think. And it is very resilient because of Luris. Like you, you have to kill so many of the creatures in the deck. Your Fiend Artisan, Priest of Forgotten Gods. Uh, oftentimes, you need to kill the Drain Effects, uh, or they're going to take over the game themselves. Uh, and then you know that just means that Luris can come down. And you often don't need like that much help. Uh, you know, you don't need Luris to stick around forever in this deck. And then if you if your opponent overloads on spot removal to deal with all those threats you're eventually just going to rally or return the ranks them out. So it's a deck that you is somewhat difficult to attack. I think if it picks up, we'll see more Grafdigger's Cages. That's a really good one. It stops Fiend Artisan's ability. It stops Rally, Return to the Ranks, and Luris. Like, 
it's very good. And that's another reason I like green, because it lets you play things like Abrupt Decay or Assassin's Trophy in the sideboard and have a really, uh, you know... Ubiquitous answer for all yeah, the hate. Versatile removal spell that can handle all kinds of different permanents. Uh, I actually want to try Assassin's Trophy over Abrupt Decay just so I can kill, you know, bigger things. But uh, the, the deck is sweet, and you'll definitely be seeing more of this. Like the, This is a deck that if, if you thought this was kind of a meme, like this deck's here to stay. So a couple questions. So this gets your seal of approval, right? So you would, you would get to you playing this. Um, I kind of agree with you, right? Like, I feel like we should see this deck more. It's obviously powerful. It's obviously really good. Um, you know, Rally the Ancestors was a card that we talked about on like our very first show. It's like very possibly a very powerful card in this format. And I'm surprised more people aren't playing it. But then I'm kind of not. Because like, A, the deck is like relatively like newish in like coming back out you know what i mean like you know this is like it's been a coming out party for it for like the last like week or a week and a half or whatever but also when i think about decks like this i would almost never play this deck because i would just mess up so much with this and like not know what to do and i don't know if i would put the time and effort to put all the you know the to put into this and then just someone plays a cage on me and i die right because like i'm also not you know equipped to play through the hate and stuff so i feel like this is one of those decks that like doesn't put up as like the numerical amount of results it should have because people shy away from it does that make sense yeah uh you know any deck that plays kind of uh, um atypical magic is gonna have a limit in how popular it can be uh because so many people just want to play normal like aggro mid-range decks yeah uh, i'm one of right? them <laughs> yeah uh and those tend to be you know popular for that reason and, and when one breaks out it becomes really popular so yeah, there is a bit of a cap, uh, but this deck still does, you know, play, you know, in combat a lot, and, uh, you know, you sideboard a bunch of interactions, so it's not that far out there. It's not like Lotus Breach out there, which, you know, picked up last week when it was doing really well, uh, but I think we'll, as we see the number of Damping Sears rise, we'll you see know, that deck drop down again, and it'll drop quickly, because, you know, people that were on the fence are like, oh, I don't really want to play that like that deck because I'm not super confident. My ability to, you know, find all the weird lines. And then it, then on top of it, I've got to deal with all these damping spheres or I'm expecting more damping spheres because the deck continues to perform well. That's going to, you know, that fear is going to keep people away. But I, I, I imagine the rally decks will get reasonably popular in the next two weeks. I mean, it also took second in the Lotus Box event. Mason, yeah, right? it just seems like it will, right? Like it seems like the natural progression type thing. When I think of this versus Lotus Breach, like, I almost find Lotus Breach easier, I guess is the right word, or simpler in my mind, because I feel like this one has more moving parts, but maybe I'm just wrong. You know, like, the Lotus Breach, like, I understand what I'm trying to do with every aspect of the game. With this deck, I'm like, I can see myself on turn two not knowing what creature to cast, or something, you know what I mean? Like, when you, when you have, like, multiple, like, multiple options every time, so... I definitely recommend putting in some work with this deck before you start running it through tournaments, unless you've played something like this before, then like, you know, like I, here's the thing. I would trust you to play this cold in a tournament. If we were going to like a team open and I was like, Hey, I'm gonna play this. Don't ever let me do that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just be like, no, like just slap the deck. Like I'd have the deck box in my hand. Just, yeah, just, just knock it on the floor. Just hopefully it doesn't spoil the cards over because they're probably not mine. But, no, but yeah, you'll uh, be fine. Yeah, deck's super cool. I think it's very powerful. I think it's really good, too. Um, I did the Energy at Night thing last week, uh, Friday night. I got to cover one of these decks. It was impressive. Like, the only reason it lost is its opponent drew three uh, Grap Diggers Cages in game three. Wow. And they even had three in their sideboard to begin with. They, well, they had three in their sideboard, drew all three of them. And it's funny because they brought in their removal for Grap Diggers Cage, but they only had two. Like, you see, this has, you know, two Abrupt Decay. 
and his opponent just outdrew all of his outs. You know what I mean? He, like he didn't actually. I was like, he could draw all of his outs to uh, to the Gravitor's cage here, and he can't actually kill them all. So it was really funny. Like he typed in the chat, he was like, "Okay, then." <laughs> like with the third one hit, that'll do, big. That'll <laughs> yeah, do. that'll do. Uh, so. Uh, what was was there another deck from this exact yeah. event that you scroll, wanted to talk about? Scroll on down to seventh place here, Tannen. Oh yeah, this, this one. This is another deck that is uh, is picking up, and I think is is underrated right now. Uh, we see from Scally or Scaly, I'm not sure. Uh, this deck does all the things, Ross. Oh yeah, it it does so many things. This is Jeskai Yorian Fires Super Friends. Yeah, just Jeskai Super Friends of. Jeskai Yorian Super Friends, Yorian Jeskai Super Friends. I don't know. Yeah. Eventually, we're going to have to just put in an acronym for it. Like, just there's the letters. Yeah. This deck kind of broke out last week uh, with a couple good finishes and super qualifiers. Here's another top eight. Also top eighted the Lotus Box event in the hands of Carolyn Kavanaugh. Um, pretty similar lists. Uh, but this deck, it is very, very good against other Yorian decks. That's where that's your bread and butter. So when the Yorian Healy decks were everywhere last week, this deck was able to prey on those, uh, and it, it really just uh, uh, my versus live co-host Corey Baumeister has put it really well. Where Yorian is at its best when the blink trigger not only nets you cards but it nets you mana. So modern you get to blink uh, Urza, and then all the artifacts that you you want to blink and they all come back untapped, and then you can tap that's them off really blue. Sweet. Yeah. And you get an extra construct. So, so like sometimes you get to go like Yorian, blink all the stuff, draw a bunch of cards, counter your next play with Archmage's Charm or Cryptic Command, and that's just you know too much to that's come too back much. from. Yeah. Uh, and this deck gets to do something similar. They've also been doing it in standard a little bit, where you know you do your thing, you interact a little bit, you play your fires on turn four, you play some Planeswalker, and then on turn five you go land five, play a Planeswalker, or an Elspeth Conqueror's Death or something, then play Yorian. Blink the fires. Now I can cast a third spell with all my lands untapped, and you effectively get a, a third four or five mana spell on turn five. So you're casting, you know, upwards of 15 mana worth of spells on turn five, and you just bury your opponent. So um, I actually got to do, again, some casting of a deck like this one in uh, Pioneer recently. It wasn't this version, it was the Bant version. and But I got to see the power of Yorian with Elspeth Conqueror's Death. And that seems something that's like insurmountable for some decks to beat if they don't have an answer right away. And like they had the Charming Prince loop going on with it, and it, the opponent could not break it up, so they just died immediately over. I mean, oh, over yeah. the next three turns, obviously, they were like take all of your permanents, kind of thing. And Yorian with Elspeth Conquer's death, by the way, real messed up. Oh like, yeah, it's not. That's not okay. Yeah, love love seeing this deck. Um, Generally, the worry here is like aggro decks, right? But they're playing three Clarion, three Supreme Verdict, you know, three. I honestly don't think I would want to play against this as, as a aggro deck. Like the thing is, if you if you do play an aggro deck against this one, I think you just have to go all in and be like, do you have the Clarion? Do you have yeah. the Supreme Verdict? Like, and, and, just and that's and never a fun place to be, right? Because no, the, it's the, horrible. Your fate is sort of out of your hands. But the deck has like definitely enough early interaction, and it can afford to use these slots for removal in the main, and then still beat up on the other go long decks especially because one of them is yorin heliod and those sweepers are good against them anyway yeah like all these other decks have stuff like fatal push and stuff in them which are like horrible <laughs> against this deck you know all these removal spells that are bad and like you just have this you have 17 planeswalkers main and then do they have planeswalkers in the sideboard i know they have like 
some other usually stuff. Usually a nickel bolus, I see. If, yeah, usually they have nickel bolus. This, this one, one doesn't. This list doesn't. Carolyn's list does it because this list is playing three charming prints on the sideboard to even further, I think, the aggro matchup, I assume that's there for. But maybe there are matchups where you want to set up the loop with the Orion. But that's actually not that good in this deck because you're blinking planeswalkers. And so you you need access to them on your turn. So I assume that this is just extra help against aggro because Lurus Burn picked up a little bit in this last week because Eidolon is so good against Breach. This seems pretty good against the Burn decks. It's like, you know, a body that blocks or trades for some of their creatures, yeah. plus it just gains three life. Like, it's literally just, like, healing salve plus a 2-2. Two, two. Yeah. Which or is, like, good enough, right? you can just set up your draws. Make sure you, you know, curve perfectly. Also, if, if you get the, the dream where you get to blink it with Lurus, with, uh, if you get to blink it with Yorion, like... It's oh, really yeah. good too, right? Game, you know, over. maybe gains some extra life. Game's over. Yeah. yeah, like it a lot. Also, the Renewous Ultimatum is always super cute to me in the in the, the sideboards <laughs> because, like, this deck in the mid range matchups, it's going to go long, right? And at some point in time, they are going to kill all of your permanents that aren't all your non land permanents, and oh, you're yeah. just dead. So, I like this deck a lot. It feels to me kind of like uh, the five color control decks did back in the day of Cruel Ultimatum. I know it's not trying to do the same thing, but it feels like that, where you're just doing like some of the most powerful things you could be doing at the mana curve every time, and the colors of it just literally doesn't matter. Yeah, you know, like you're fires just like, and the the land, uh, you know, you're yeah. you cast your spells. It's not a problem. Uh, are you talking about inter interplanar yeah, interplanar beacon? beacon? And now you've got yeah, Roger and Triome, so like your your mana got better because of yeah. that. Uh, interplanar beacon, another card that really helps against the burn decks too. Like just gaining two or three life a game off your land. Like, that can be good. That can be enough to win you a game against them and buy you enough time. So. Okay. Uh, moving on to the second super qualifier, we see Demure Inverter in first. And this was kind of a resurgent week for Inverter, which had kind, which had sort of fallen off. It was still around, but it had fallen off as people really got hyped around Companion and started exploring that space. And we got into this, you know, mid-range fight with these Yorian decks an inverter, I think, is really good, a really good foil there. Um, though, you know, you kind of do have to be a combo deck against them, and that can be tough when they have, you know, Gideons or, uh, you know, other hate cards. And so the innovation that's happened with the inverter decks to try to be better in those fair mid-range matchups, or at least play their fair game better, is, of course, to add Yorian. What else would you do? <laughs> yeah, so no. Yorian makes... inverter is kind of the new hotness. It makes sense, right, that this that this would kind of make, you know, a comeback. Also, this deck's just too powerful to sit on the sidelines the entire time, right? Oh, yeah. No, it, it was definitely going to come back up a little bit. But now, I, I think Yorian Inverter has a case as, like, you know, just one of the, the you know, two or three best decks in the format. The, you know, Gold Ducat takes third with the, in this Super Qualifier. There was one or two in the top eight of the Lotus Box event. I know Edgar Magiesh has been touting it. And, you know, the cost, you would think the cost of adding Yorian to your deck when you want to be finding these combo pieces and finding your digs would be pretty high, but you actually add some really good cards. You know, Omen of the Sea uh, just has more velocity and really good with Yorian. Trial of Ambition, obviously good with Yorian, but in particular very good against Orzhov Auras, where, you know, their protection doesn't really work against it. Granted, LCAD can just sit on the battlefield, but... It's also just been good enough, too. Like, I watched them playing its burn decks where you're just, like, do anything, trial... You just want to spin mana to interact with them as much as you can, so... Yep. Uh, and then you can, you know, blink it back with Yorian when they Lurus uh, to try to contain their battlefield. You get to play Narset, which is very good against Lotus Breach, you know, stopping their uh, pour over the pages. It's a great thing to blink. You know, you, you minus it twice. You play it turn three, 
You know, you minus it down, and then you Yorin it, and then you get to minus it again. You know, Yorin's drawing a bunch of extra cards, so it really isn't that much of a cost. You know, they're up to four Thassa's Oracle. Um, and the, I think the only other real, like, innovation has been the adoption of Neutralize. So just because they wanted a hard counterspell against uh, you know, just a lot of decks, really. You know, anytime, the, if the Yorin decks are going playing a long game, having a hard counter, great. Also good against Lotus Breach. Neutralize is definitely the option because it can cycle early against aggressive decks, can fill your graveyard for dig. Uh, so another nice addition there. And this deck just looks really clean. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think both versions are great. Like, I'm not sure which one that I would prefer. I would probably try out the the Yorian version and then move myself back to the 60 card version just to seeing which one I like better. But honestly, just like looking at the 60 card version, I think it's really clean and really nice too. You know, you look at the version that won, he's got four Damping Spheres in his sideboard. That's not a surprise with what's been going on later, and you'll hear us talk about it yet again in a little bit about why. And then, you know, you look at it versus, like, you know, this deck. Like, look at the deck in second place. It's the Lurus Burn deck. And I think that this is a good, like, not that it's a good matchup for Inverter. I think this is just a good matchup. Like, I would love to watch two very skilled players on both sides play this matchup a lot because I think it's probably a really sweet matchup, right? Like, a lot of the cards yeah. in the Inverter deck are, like, very good versus them, but they could draw too many Thought Seizes in game one. Um, you know, the red deck kind of gets to go, just like, do it at once. You know what I mean? Like, Thought Seize isn't super punishing for them all the time. If you don't draw enough Fatal Pushes, you're just going to die. Like, you're going to get run over and stuff like that. But if they do draw, you know, Fatal Pushes and Jace Wielder... Uh, I'm sorry, not Jace Wielder, Mystery... Uh, Jace Friends Prodigy and start flashing some of that stuff back, like, I would love to see these decks go at it. Like... No, uh, I I agree. It's a, a a pretty close matchup there, and one I'm sure if you're you know sitting down and watching a lot of Pioneer or playing a lot of Pioneer, it's probably a matchup you run into if you're playing either of these decks because they're both quite popular. Um, the card I want to really look at out of Ducat's list, and I really love this card out of the sideboard is Extinction Event. Yeah, you've been of, you've been talking about this one for a little oh, while yeah. now. Very low curves, a lot of one drops around in Loris Burn in Orza Auras. Have you drawn Extinction Event against the Obosh Gruel deck? That it, sounds it, amazing. You know, it was pretty easy to know what to name. Are you sure? So, uh, yeah. And it, conveniently, all of your creatures are even, so you, you almost always just name Odd. But Exile, Removal Spell, really good Sweeper. This is a card that if your deck can cast it and it's, you're not like an aggro deck, I would be looking to get some in my sideboard. That's another thing that I missed right away with this card as well, is that it exiles the creatures. And then when I saw that, and I was like, oh, this is way more playable than I thought it was at first. You know, I've played against this Unlimited a couple of times, and it's been a beating. Uh, I actually had one of the... Uh, I was playing Unlimited the other day, you know, and I actually had one of the commanders where my deck was, like, odd or even. I can't remember. It might have been Obosh. And I was like, odd. And my opponent had this in their deck, and it was not good for me. <laughs> I did not win those games. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, definitely... I think that card you're going to see a little bit more... Uh, people trying it out at the least, right? We're going to find out if this card really is the real deal kind of thing. And it just makes sense to me that people move back to this deck. Like I said, super powerful. Um, this is one of those decks where, you know, if you talk to someone who plays this deck a lot, someone who plays Breach a lot, I'm pretty sure both players will tell you I'm favored in the matchup. You know, it's one of those, you know, kind of thing. But if I had to be on one side, I'd want to be on the inverter side. That's the way I play Magic. So I like it better. But a deck with that much hand disruption... You know, three or four damping spheres, planeswalkers that are good with against them like Narset, and just a bunch of uh, like mystical disputes and stuff. I kind of want to be on that side of the of things. I will say, if I'm uh, a Lotus Breach player, I would prefer to play against the Yorian build than the non-Yorian build. 
Yeah, a lot more misses, right? Yeah, a lot more, a more air. air, just lower density of thought seizes. That was one of the big uh, things. I've watched Edgar stream with the Yorian build a little bit over the last few days, and he said one of the one of the biggest costs uh, is you know your reduced access to thought seize and dig through time, uh, and you know dig you you still have like Narset to look for it because you're not digging until like turn four or five normally, but thought seize you really want to be casting in the first couple turns of the game, so. That's that's the major cost, and so I do think it hurts your Lotus Breach matchup, but it significantly helps your matchups against all the Orion decks and all the Luris decks. You know, Inverter was not as good at comboing as people thought. And one of the things I always preached, it was, like, you should be treating them more like a mid-range deck and just try to beat their fair game. And initially, the companions were pretty good against that, you know, the, the first builds of companion decks. But as those decks got a little bit more inbred... Um, you know, the matchup got a little closer and then they went, now that they've bolstered their own fair game from the inverter side by the addition of Yorian, and now I think they're ahead again. But you do lose out against Lotus Breach a little, and that's why you see a lot of copies of Damping Sphere in those sideboards. Yeah, four in the I think you need list, four. And that was a 60-card list, and three yeah. in Gold Ducat's 80-card uh, list. I would have thought you would need four for this week and then maybe get to ramp back a little bit next week when, you know, it gets beat down, but... When we keep looking at the results, we're going to find out that people did not come prepared yeah, this weekend. At least, at least not prepared enough, I guess. So, right. And uh, if you want to scroll down a little further to sixth place, there's another uh, new deck. And it's popped up a few times now. I'm not sure if we've talked about it, but this is Hardened Scales. We actually played a Hardened Scales list in Pioneer on Versus Live during preview season. And it was really impressive. It did some really good things. Um, one thing we noted was that the Ozolith underperformed because we didn't have a sack outlet. And now these hardened scales lists have realized, you know, the pilots realize the same thing, and they're all playing evolutionary leap. And there's three copies in, the, in this list from Usunk, uh, and that's just a, a just a really nice sacrifice outlet. Really helps you against removal. Just helps you go long. So you know, hardened scales I think has the reputation because of the modern deck that can be so fast and explosive as trying to do something similar. But this deck really can play a long game very well with Luris, evolutionary leap and Hangerback Walker, and the Ozolith. Like, you're very resilient, and that is uh, super valuable here. And it, it's resilient enough to the point where you only see three copies of Winding Constrictor. You know, that's a pretty big tell to me that they're not hyper-focused on getting those synergies online because they've even trimmed a Constrictor. Mm-hmm. And they're yeah, I, I think this deck's good. Um, I like it a lot. It's a four Thoughtseize, four Fatal Push deck with a, with a fast clock, so I'm a fan of it, you know, what it does in this format. Um, the evolutionary leap kind of, uh, I was going to say evolution. That's just two on the nose. Like this, this new part of it is really cool. Like seeing the Ozolith show up little sidebar. Um, if we were to kind of grade it, like I think today on who's did better on our predictions for our top eights in pioneer, I think I'm crushing you by the way, but we both had Luris at number one. So, we're but did you have Ozolith on your list? Yeah. Okay. I had a higher, but did you, you didn't have Yorian on your list, right? I don't think you did either. Oh yeah, I did. I had a little Yorian like I had my I had Yorian on my list for sure. I certainly did not have Yorian on my list. Yeah, I knew that card was busted. So I was like, "There's no way that like we can't make eighty card decks work. Like, there's just no way that like you can't do that because the cards are too powerful with all this stuff." Are you literally looking it up? I see Ross like I saw the light change on his face, so he's pulling up another screen. So I guess I'll move us on to our next topic, where that would be the next Pioneer Challenge, and we kind of made an allusion to this. And um, I want to ask you a question, Ross, and you can just answer as quickly as you want. First thing that pops in your head. Can anyone stop Caleb Shearer? Apparently, no. Yeah, because 
tell me if you've heard this before. Caleb Shearer won a modern, I mean, sorry, won a pioneer uh, uh, challenge. And he did it again this week, and you guessed it. Underworld Breach, Lotus Breach, yet I'm again. I'm not sure his deck changed at all. I see it. There's a displacement wave. I think that's new. Yeah, I think he cut one of the wilts. Like, it's down to one wilt in the sideboard or whatever, and there's a displacement wave in the sideboard. Now, not only did he win this event, he, com- like, was very close to doing, like, winning and top-eating multiple events this week. Um, I gotta say this. How are you guys letting Caleb win? And I'm not saying, you know, he's not earning it. I'm not saying that, like, he's letting him win. But, like, guys, y- girls... Be ready for Lotus Breach. This deck is busted. It's very good. It's very good right now. Be ready to beat this. And I'm not surprised to see Caleb just carving through people right now. Because when you think of Caleb, you think of this deck, right? And you think of Gift Storm. And you think of, like, other Storm variants. And Legacy, like, he is a combo player. And when that deck is good, Caleb is very good. Like, I think of his big year on the SCG Tour where he was, like, competing for Player of the Year. He may have won it. I had to go try to check it, and I could not find that resource. But I know he's very close. He had a ton of top eights, right? He was just crushing all the modern events because Storm was good. So when those decks are good... It's time to shine. Huh? It's his time to shine. Yeah, like, it's it's like whenever Delver's good legacy, I'm like, I'm coming out of retirement, boys. Let's go. Let's go. You know? Gotta Um, give him credit. He's taking advantage. He found his time to shine, and he is crushing it. And this is, yeah, and this is not me saying this is the only time he's good, but this is when he really, really shines. Like, I've seen Caleb do really well in standard before, like, when he understands, like, I've seen him crush people with, like, mono red, you know, like, I've seen him do well with a mid-range deck before. So, like, I mean, when he won the Invitational, I think he won with, an, with a, a Siege Rhino deck. Yeah, he was playing Absent, Aggro, and I want to say Affinity in Modern. I, I, it was that or Merfolk or something. It was, like, some weird deck. It was like, an it's not a deck, but it, he, he did not, he was not playing Storm in the, his, you know, best finish in any, like, you know, the, the top of his resume, you know. His and he also one. became, yeah, and his token is a storm token yeah. as well, which is like hilarious. But, you know, this is a guy that does have range, but when what he's best at, right, is good, he's going to be very good. It's like, I call it the Tom Ross effect. Like whenever, like the weirdo aggro decks, like, and I don't mean just mono red. I mean, like, what was the name of the red deck that he that he won with? Uh, her, like, we just called it Ross Red, but it was like a weird version Ross of it, red, you know? yeah. Yeah, Boss Red boss or, like, Sly. Heroic. Boss Sly, Heroic. When, like, the strange versions of it, right? Where you have to, like... It's not a straightforward Red Deck. You've got to eke out, like, every yeah. little He was piece. playing, like, Dragon Mantle and Titan Strength and a Crone Crusader. I have it a... It's just all draft commons and just one an Invitational crushed everybody. Yeah. I have a really cool story with that. So, uh, well, the really cool part's debatable. But I have a story with this. So... Uh, for people who don't know, uh, Tom Ross is from my area. He used to live about three hours from where I do, but over the last few years before he went to Watsi and before he was in Roanoke, he lived in Baton Rouge, like in, in my city. So I've played against the guy numerous times. You know, I've talked to him, picked his brain. There was this time where a bunch of us from Louisiana, we went up to, I think it was like Columbus, Ohio or something like that for one of the, remember when TCG player was running invitationals? Yeah. And you could just like buy your way into them. You had to physically have these like cards that had points on yep, them. Yep, and they, yeah. Yeah. Well, we had, like, TCG player events at our store, so I had a bunch of them, and everybody was going, and I was like, screw it, I'll tag along, right? And the deck that ended up playing in Standard was, the like, the Boss Slide deck with, like, Dragon Mantle, and what's the card? It's, like, plus three, plus one, Scry one for one red, the instant. Titan Strength. Yeah, Titan Strength on, like, your Crowan Crusaders and stuff like that. Well, this is before Tom had, like, released this deck on the world, right? You know, he's playing it online, and he hadn't played it in an event yet. So he shows me the deck, and he's like... Because I told him, I was like, dude, I'm, I'm like lost in standard. I don't know what to do. And he's like, just just play this deck. Trust me. So I was like, all right. 
Um, and at the time I was like, hey, do you have a sideboard guide? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'll send it to you. So he sends it to me over Facebook. And I'm talking, this was 14 pages long or something like that, right? It had every matchup, play draw, and like at least a paragraph with it. Like I'm talking super in depth. Like I was like, dude, I probably like owe you some money or some shit for this, right? You know, super <laughs> yeah. work. Um, I remember showing up the event and, we, you know, I had a few buys or whatever, you know, blah, blah, blah. And we was playing some pickup games against like the SCG grinders. And um, I'll never forget this. So I'm playing some games against, I, f- I forget who exactly I'm playing against, right? And I'm playing against one of the, it might've been like CVM or something. He's like, hey, I want to test my standard deck a little bit, come play, right? And so I'm playing and we get a crowd. I don't know, like 30, 40 people are watching, right? You know, cause like a lot of people are on their buys. I think less people were playing in the event than were on buys for round one and two. Remember when GPs were like that for a while too? You know, like like a third of the GP would be playing round one. So I'm playing, and there's a bunch of people watching, and I start casting my spells. Right? I'm like, turn one a Crow and Crusader. My opponent picks it up and reads it, you know, and then I'm like, all right, untap, upkeep, Titan Strength, my Crow and Crusader, get a 1-1 Scry. And they're just like, what? And they like read that card too. And th- I heard snickering, multiple instances of nice draft deck, Tannin, or you registered this, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, normally so I play not the really game. your style. Yeah, it's not my style. So I, I play the game and I browned my opponent. He's like, "All right, let me well, let me you play." Read it again. them, Tannen. You read it them. Yeah, we played again. Same thing. Played again. Same thing. At the time, remember this: people were playing guild gates in their deck, so they were going fucking third. You know what I mean? There's like, I'm just like, dude, I've already spit like three mana before you've like untapped your land. You know, and you're just doing all this broken stuff. And I'll never forget this to this day. Like one person was just standing there watching kind of silently. It was Harry Corvasi, right? Very smart guy. He's just standing there watching, standing there watching. And he has like his crew with him that like, you know, they had been playtesting, and a lot of them were snickering and making fun of my deck. And he watches for like a game or two. And I remember, I don't think he meant for me to hear this, but he turns to his friend and he goes, guys, I think we messed up. Like, <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think we missed it. And uh, I think I sevened one the standard portion where like I got really unlucky to like, you know what I mean? Like somebody had like main deck Golgari charm or something in their deck. And I was just like, what? You know, just wrecked my deck. Like That'll just crushed me. Yeah. I get crushed in the middle of a combat, like going for like, I was like, oh, like I think abrupt decay. I was like, no, abrupt decay doesn't save them here. Like do all these things, attack you. And they're like, Golgari charm. I was like, oh shit, I'm dead. You know, that kind of thing. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Tom was a G for giving me all that stuff. And that deck was really good. And whenever that kind of stuff is good. Like, Tom is unstoppable. But we also know that he's just a good player anyway, right? Like, he wins with other decks, you know, funky decks, the normal. I've seen him play the best deck and do really well with it, too. And this is what you're seeing with Caleb. And it's he's getting to cash in on it. And it's always nice to see people who are, like, dedicated to their craft really get rewarded for it. Yeah. Put some more fucking damping spheres in your sideboard, everybody. Let's go. It's yeah. that easy. Also, uh, draw it and don't have them kill it. <laughs> yeah. So the, the deck that Caleb beat in the finals of this challenge... Numena Lawalin. Sure. This is another Jess Guy Super Friends deck. So you see, like, you know, multiple t- top eights in three of the five tournaments, right? But I want to point out one of the cards in this deck that we did not see in the other two lists. Is it can Shark you, can Typhoon? You find it? Yeah. Sharknado, man. Let's go. This card's sweet. Four copies of Shark Typhoon. They are not messing around. This is, I think this is one of, like, the biggest risers over the last month. You ever, like, I remember pl- playing on Versus during preview season we were like, yeah, this card's pretty good. And like Corey and I kept putting it in more and more of our decks. Like, yeah, this card's pretty good. And then when it start, when the you know set gets released and everybody's building decks, you saw like one, two copies in a lot of decks. And like, man, this is good. Now, if you look at standard, they're just playing four because it's so good with uh in with um 
Fires of Invention. Reclamation. It's good with Fires and Wilderness Reclamation. Yeah. Both enchantments, it works really well with. But it's also something that you can do that's uncounterable against Flash decks and create a blocker or create a threat against Teferi at instant speed. Yeah. So, like, that's a big thing for me, right? The fact that you can still do this at instant speed when Teferi's out. Also, like, when you get up to six lands, if you have Fires out, you can cast this and something else and then trigger it. Or it's something you can do with your mana, right? Yeah. But, like, yeah, you can, like, play your spell, play your spell, go. I have, like, five or six lands up, and they're, like, do stuff. You're, like, make a 4-4. Four, four. Make a 4-4 four, four flyer, and you're, like, wait, what? You can't? Oh, yeah. wait. Another way to get that, like, triple spell turn. So it works yeah. really well with fires here. Uh, I think that your point of just being able to cast it, this deck casts Shark Typhoon pretty well and makes very good use of it. So you that are not, not beating, be underestimated either. You are not beating a resolved Shark Typhoon if they like follow it up with anything else that's relevant. Like They're going to kill something of yours, play some big stupid Planeswalker, yeah, and, and and make and a 4-4. Four, four. Yeah, multiple 4-4s yeah. four, or 5-5 five, five flyers in the game. Yeah, that, that quickly spirals out of control. Uh, so definitely something to, to look to. This is a piece of innovation. We now see it you know, leaking into Pioneer because it has more than proven itself in Standard. I think that card's just going to be a staple of Standard during its entire time there. Uh, and it is now, you know, apparently good enough for Pioneer. So Shark Typhoon making its way. It's not It's not just companions for Macoria. I'm looking at this deck. I might have to put this one together. I might have to order me some Shark Typhoons because I think I own pretty much the rest of the deck besides, you know, obviously the new cards. And, uh... I, I can I can mess around with this. I, I could see me I can see me messing around with the with the with the I do like Yorian quite a bit, and it's it's like I said I've always wanted to see how my opponents gonna react the first time I hand them my deck you know to shuffle before the tournament before a game and they can just realize it's eighty cards because like when do you show your companion is it before the game or before they it is before you draw your hand okay so like I mean they're gonna know anyway but still you know you you like. You're like, oh, what Yorian version is this? You know, kind of thing. Because there's a few different ones that are all good. So, but I think this is the Yorian deck, by the way. Like, you know, at first it was the mono white deck, and then yeah. they, you know, moved into the into blue when they got to add all the cards. I think this is it. This this is the Yorian deck that I think is is going to be like, unless something new comes up that's like broken. This is the best one I've seen. I think. Yeah, I, I, at least for now. I don't want to speculate too far into the future. But if if you want to play a Yorian deck, I think the Super Friends is the one you should be playing. Also, this looks super fun. There, there's just so much spot removal around, and being able to blank all of it is super valuable. Uh, so, uh, yeah. And also, it, just it's, draw it fires. Loads of fun. Yeah, just draw fires. It makes it easy. I, I'm a big fan of... Anytime I get an excuse to run Oath of Chandra, you know, and like Omen of the Sea, these cards that do stuff but not really, I'm a, I'm a big fan of cards like that, as you know. Big fan of filler. Let's go. I'm sad that Oath of Chandra doesn't go to Planeswalkers anymore. Am I right Oh, did they... Oh, yeah, they are out of that because it goes to opponent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't think that one got errated. Uh, so I can like figure it out right now. I'm, I'm clicking on the card. I'm going to look uh, at the errata. I played one of the most memorable matches of my entire life against Zanside in the top eight of an RPTQ like three years ago. And this is for Pro Tour Amonkhet. And we were both playing the four-color copycat deck in standard. Right? Deck was busted. Yeah. We were playing a mirror match and... All three games, if you had looked at the game state on turn four, I was under 10% to win in all three games. And I narrowly lost game one when Zan bricked on. Zan had Sahili out for, like very early, and I couldn't answer it. Uh, and I just made the decision that I wasn't beating the combo because I would have had to devote too many resources to it and just yeah. tried to play a fair game. And he just never found the Felidar Guardian. And then he literally found it the turn before it wasn't. I was going to kill the Sahili finally. 
this is like 10 turns later. So you had to like, and you know, at that point I was ahead, I think. And he found it. And so now I'm like super dejected because I almost got an awesome comeback and now I'm down a game. And then I was even further behind. I think at one point Zan untapped in game two with three different planeswalkers. <laughs> I think he had Sahili, Nahiri, and Chandra. And I like just, I think I dealt 22 damage with a, a single oath of Chandra. Just blinking it, blinking my planeswalkers. Like it was unbelievable. And then game three was like pretty similar. Not as, uh, much of a uh, comeback as game two and our match probably took two and a half hours because we're both pretty deliberate and the games were incredibly long and it was untimed. I I honestly think the match took two and a half hours to play three games. And not surprised with you at the end of the match, like the, the judge we had watching was just stunned. Yeah. Yeah. It was the most unbelievable match. And I I just, I can't, I can't think that one's on camera somewhere. So now I'm disappointed that Oath of Chandra doesn't get to do the same things. So, uh, before we move on to the next deck, which I'm really excited about that we wanted to talk about, I think this one's like probably the coolest one to come out this weekend. Uh, just one more thing about this deck. It does have the Gyreach Sanitarium lock in it. There is a Gyreach Sanitarium hanging out in there. So if you get the the Narset, I mean, that's pretty much a lock there. But if you get Teferi Narset Gyreach Sanitarium, they're actually locked. And, stuff. and I, I did this very early in the Pioneer format. It's, it's a, it is a thing that does happen. They also all have a possibility storm to grant it for it to lock out with Teferi. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. You can lock them out multiple different ways, Tannen. I like it. It's like, uh, we just call it the figure four. I think I'm going to call it that because fires is a four mana card, and that's what you're trying to do. So I'm just going to call it the figure four because it's it's full leg lock. So uh, the deck that I was really excited about, it's from the other Pioneer Challenge, right? I believe. Yeah, fourth place on the other Pioneer Challenge. Now, this one was won by Loris Burn. So just the good decks rising to the top. Uh, But I want to talk about this fourth place. That is Loris Heroic in first place. Loris Heroic? Did I get that wrong? Yeah. Oh, wow. I'm sorry. I kind of glanced over this real yeah, quick. Yeah, they, they can them. look similar at, at first glance because they both play the prowess creatures. Yeah, but this is, yeah, it's just the the, the, the prowess deck, but with Loris or whatever. But this fourth place list, Ross, makes me feel things. Yeah, this uh, definitely qualifies as dope shit. So for those of you who don't know what it is, it, it's, so I'm going to say it, it, it's kind of like a blue-white control deck, kind of, right? There's a third color hanging out. I'm going to get there. But it's kind of like a blue-white control list. Like, you're looking at four Zori's Charm, four Sensor, four Hieroglyphic Illumination, and four Neutralize. With also like four cast Verdict, out. but they're split between main and side. Yeah, four Verdicts, you know, Shark Typhoon, Nimble Obstructionist. But there's this there's this little one-mana creature in this deck. And why the hell would you have a one-mana creature in this deck, Ross? Because this it's little, for one. Yeah, this little Flourishing Fox, right? Because we're playing four Zenith Flare. So there's a red splash in here. And for those of you who don't know what Zenith Flare does yet, if you haven't played Limited in this format, it's the best card in the Limited set, right? It's two red-white for an instant. Uh, this card deals X damage to any target, and you gain X life, where X is the number of cards with the cycling ability in your graveyard. Now, if you look at this deck, you've got, you know, four Flourishing uh, Fox. You've got two of Nimble Obstructionists. Um, you've got four Sensor, right? Four of the Hieroglyphic Illumination that we talked about. The four Neutralize. Uh, cast Out. Shark Typhoon, and then you go into the lands, and you're looking at four irrigated farmland, right? And then you're looking at uh, two of the Jeskai Triomes. So 32 cycling cards. 32 cycling cards. Do you know how easy it is to just dome someone twice with this card and win the game? Because all you're doing is surviving, right? you got like Azuria's Charm to survive, Sensor to survive. Because the thing is, you don't have to cycle the cards to get the X cost. They just have to be in the graveyard. So you can cast these cards. 
And it's not like it, we're, we're not playing any bad cards to get our cycling count up. Like Cast Out, a perfectly fine removal spell. Shark Typhoon like can, can give you a threaded instant speed while you're holding counter magic. Neutralize is seen play in the Inverter deck, so it's just a good counter spell. Sensor is seen play in Pioneer before. Fine counter spell. Hieroglyphic Illumination, you know, fine card draw spell. Sometimes the Azorius Control decks play that. So You know how you know how I feel about that card. I, I That's like one of my favorite yeah. like of the fair draw card spells they've printed. And then, you know, when you're playing Zenith Flare and you have this ability to win out of nowhere, the ability to, to, to produce threats out of nowhere is also good. So Shark Typhoon, Nimble Obstructionist, both really good for helping you just see an opportunity. You know, yeah. on like turns, if on turn seven, you just go like end of turn Obstructionist, Zenith Flare you, untap, attack for three, Zenith Flare you. Like they might just be dead. If they've taken, you know, four damage from their lands or something, five damage from their lands, and you have six cyclers, not hard to get. No, 100% agree. And there's a few things about this deck, right? Um, playing this deck, I would try to hide... If you're not turn one it and beating them down with it, I would try to hide the Flourishing Fox as long as possible to not kind of like, you know, let them know what's going on. Because like if, if they know anything about standard, the standard version of this deck or like the limited version of this deck, it might kind of clue them in, oh no, I might get Zenith flared here. Because I guarantee you this person won a decent bit of games where their opponent had no idea what's going on. And this is more of a known quantity now if you're like kind of, you know, you're up and up to date on the format. So you're not going to get as many surprise wins of this, right? Also, I want to know how many games this person won by cycling Nimble Obstructionist. Can you imagine hitting the win the game trigger? Yeah, of a Thassa's Oracle, you know, you, know, you can hit a lot of stuff. Uh, you know, even just like Planeswalker activations can be big. Um, so definitely a, uh, a, a blowout. The blowout potential is high with that card. And I like having a couple... Uh, notably, this is also a companion deck. There's a Zerta. Because, uh, you know, all your stuff cycles, so you meet that uh, condition easily. And Zerta makes Nibble Obstructionist cycle for one. Basically pumps your shark by two whenever you want to cycle it. The, cycle, the shark definitely. Because that's not... Decree of Justice was like three mana cycle and then trigger pay X. This is a cycling cost. The, the X is part of the cycling cost. So you do get that fully reduced. Um... So, you know, and, and it's just a free 3-3. Three, three. Again, like random incidental damage. And I think that actually really helps out in a matchup like Lotus Breach, where control decks tend to really struggle in that matchup because they just can't pressure you. You know, you eventually either like win through their counter spells or sneak in a granted for Thought Distortion, and Thought Distortion ends the game, right? This deck, like, you can just slam your Zerd on turn three. You can play a Fox on turn one if you have it. You know, on the turns where they're playing set up, trying to, you know, posture and figure out what you have in your hand you can make a shark you can cast an nimble obstructionist and start pressuring them and then if you just zenith flare like and then they have to be worried all the time like you know even if you only have three cyclers in your graveyard if you've got you know five six mana up i can go end of turn cycle cycle you know zenith flare you untap flare you and like that might cause them to you know go for it maybe a turn or two before they otherwise would so uh really nice to see a what is ostensibly a control deck have cheeky ways to be able to apply pressure in matchups where that's necessary and play more like aggro control, but they don't mess up the deck's regular game plan at all. And we've seen this be good before in the, in the past, right? Like I think about like the Jeskai control deck um, that was good and popular and modern for a long time. And remember when it used to have like Nahiri and it would kill you with like Immercool or something? It had that like yeah. that little side plan, right? You know, just a couple cards in the list somewhere that don't hurt it. You're cycling through, you're seeing a lot of cards. And we've seen this before control decks and we've seen it be good. So like, honestly, 
I get excited when I when I see these lists because like I want to play this one too. I can't wait till this is on uh, Arena and I can just jam all these lists like infinitely all day long because I have a full set of everything in Arena. I don't have everything on Magic Online, but like you know I own this deck in, in paper besides all the new stuff. And I didn't realize this, but I'm gonna have to get four Shark Typhoons and I'm just gonna have to Sharknado people. I'm. I mean, Are they expensive at all? They're like a regular rare. They're probably they, they can't be expensive now. But I'm gonna I'm gonna get them. Like I probably won't get them in English either. I'll probably get them in a cool language or whatever. So we'll see. But I gotta go find my copies of some of these cards. I think I still have forecast out somewhere. I might have some nimble obstructionists. I gotta check. But I think this deck is really cool. Um, I think it's really good. I think it's definitely fun, which is another big thing for me. And I don't think this deck is very expensive. Which is also a big thing. The, the mana base itself, okay, the mana base can can run you a little bit of money because it's a you know a good bit of dual lands and some tri lands. But, but like, when I'm looking at all the other stuff in this deck, you're not looking at a deck that's you know obscenely high like some of these other decks. It's actually playing some of the less expensive dual lands, right? Yeah, like it's not a ton of shock lands. It's just the hallowed fountains. And cliff top but, retreat you know, is not very expensive. Yeah, you like know? the like, check lands and irrigated farmland can't be very expensive, and like mm-hmm. it's all cycling cards, so it's very few rares. It's, mm-hmm. it's the only rares in the main deck that aren't lands are Shark Typhoon, Obstructionist, and Supreme Verdict. Yeah, yeah I think Supreme is, Verdict has a little bit of value. Dirt cheap. Yeah, but this deck is. I mean, you could probably get this for under 100 bucks or something like that. Maybe definitely under two online. Probably pretty damn cheap if none of these cards are hard to find. Yeah, that's when this. cards. I'm this up. What's that? I'm looking this up. You looking it up? MTG yeah. Goldfish has it listed online for 53 tickets, and in that's... paper for 176. Yeah, and I, I, I got to guarantee you, you can find this for significantly less than 176 especially if you own any of it obviously but and like who knows what the actual price of shark typhoon will be i don't know how where they get numbers for those because they're not released mm-hmm. right? that's that's the problem that's probably why they're more expensive is like if you found copies of shark typhoon right now there's not a lot of them on the market yeah you know when so... the set gets released in a few weeks or whatever in uh in america because it's not even it's not even out in our country right now right they yeah, haven't released it's... it here i'm, I'm pretty sure because i have uh i have some pre-ordered stuff in my lgs by the way buy from your lgs if you can Help them out. One of my uh, LGS is sadly closed for good Ooh. last week. And it's been open for a long time. Like, sad. I think t- 10 years. Yeah, it's pretty sad. Got a lot of good memories there. Uh, you know, a lot of big wins, a lot of big losses. You know, some battles against Tom Ross, like I was talking about, in that very building. And uh, it's they had to close their doors permanently, and it's, it's really sad. So if you if you can, if you can afford it, help out your LGS right now. A lot of people are hurting out there that could use a little bit of help. Other than that, stay home. <laughs> Just order online. Get curbside pickup. Like, uh, the other one is doing curbside pickup, like, a couple times a week. So, if you need to get your cards and stuff, or, you know, your products, whatever you need. Cool. So, so. Well, um, uh, and I think there was, like, one or two more decks, right? You wanted to yeah. talk about this, uh, this Lurus Heroic deck that yeah, I kind of skipped over. Yeah, that's where we're moving to next. First place in this challenge. It was also fifth place in the other challenge. So, this is... And it, the, you saw a lot... If you go through, like, the top 16s and top 32s of these events, there's more copies of this. This is a breakout week for this deck. This is a deck you've wanted to be good for a while, right? I know yeah. you, you've talked about it periodically. Like, like, I feel like once a month you bring this deck up. Yeah. I tried out a Jeskai version a couple weeks ago with um, the pet drag, Sprite Dragon. And Dragon Sprite Dragon was good, but the deck ended up being too inconsistent. And then I, one of the things I, I thought about my build was I my curve was too high and I had too many creatures. And the lists we're seeing now, it's a pretty standardized list. They're playing 19 creatures, and it's 12 one-drops. Uh, you know, eight prowess creatures, four favorite hoplite. And I think that's quite good. I honestly think 19 might even still be too high. Uh, because, like, Lurus just gives you such high access to creatures, you just want to make sure you draw plenty of tricks. Um, but I tried this deck out again a couple days ago, and I just, I don't get it. I can never win with this deck. 
It looks so good on paper. It makes sense. It's doing well in the hands of other people, but I, I can't do it. This is one of those decks I never win with. My hands are always really awkward. I just, I always draw too many creatures. I'm like, I'm always like one spell, four prowess creatures. And I just like have like one mildly good turn and I'm just praying to rip something to finish them off while they obliterate me. I think one of the issues with the deck is it just doesn't have much interaction itself. Like if you're, when you're playing the heroic engine, you've got to play all like all these God's willings and pump spells and stuff. And then you can't really afford to play that much removal because it takes away too much from your game plan and playing a small amount of removal, but still some and, and trying to rely on it, I think is a really bad place to be in a Luris metagame. Because of like, you know, when you draw your one reckless rage, like, are you just saving it for Luris the entire time? Probably not. Like, you've got to, you know, probably kill the Eidolon or something, or kill some early creature against Orzov auras. So this deck is really trying to, like, you know, just use Reckless Rage to keep them off balance long enough to set up a kill itself. And, you know, you see that aggression with four Titan Strengths, three Guard for Battle, three Boros Charm in this list. Um, some lists play four Guard and only three Gods Willing, even. So, like, even more Pump Spells. So I, I, never, I don't really like that that's the direction the deck moved in, but I think that's the deck direction it has to move in. So maybe my list have tried to be too interactive. Like, I've been main decking some Wild Slashes, trying to play, like, Fight is One, which you see in this deck's sideboard, and being a little bit less combo-y, and that's probably just bad. So I'm probably playing bad lists of the deck, too. Well, that's a given. Come on. Yeah, that's a given. So can I say one thing about this deck and, like, what I like is what they've done to change? And this this may have directly... I like that they cut Feather. I mean, yeah. Can't play Feather with Lurus. Yeah, but I mean that's what I'm saying. It, like I think Luris made them play a better version of this deck. I like that you you don't have that card anymore in your deck because I always found it to be one of the worst cards in the deck because I found that like on turn three when you have three mana, you want to be like attacking and doing stuff, right? You don't want to be like setting up more. You know what I mean? Like playing this card that doesn't necessarily get value right away. And like I saw people do. I'm not saying it's not a good card. I saw people do disgusting things to that card, and it was very good in some spots. But more often than not. I saw that card be like a hindrance to people and like trying to cast it, trying to make sure they they get it and get value from it and all the stuff where like whenever I would watch people like Tom Ross play decks like this, like they just played aggressively and got all the little incremental value along the way and did everything they could. You know what I mean? They didn't wait around for perfect scenarios. And I found that Feather like made people play worse. Does that make sense? You know where I'm trying to no, go with I, this? I, I can buy that. And I, and I agree like when... When you have Feather in your deck, then you probably play more removal. You try to, like, use your Reckless Rages just to, like, grind your opponent out more so than you otherwise would. And without it, you just play super aggressively because Luris is, like, always there to be your backup plan against removal. So it makes sense that, like, they would move in that direction if they want to be Luris. And I completely agree that, like, that's a significant upgrade on the old lists. There is If you look through, there is one list that was playing Feathers in the sideboard. So there must be some match where they were like, you know what, I'd rather have Feather than Luris. Luris. Yeah. Maybe it was something like like the Gruul decks, where like maybe they can race you, the Obosh decks, and you just want to Reckless Rage them over and over again. Yeah, when you do that, you're bringing in Luris too, right? I'm assuming Luris is now in your deck. Yeah, may, uh, that's also, you know, I, I'm not sure, you know, yeah. you, you can't, can't ever tell, but uh, that, that's definitely a possibility. Uh, the one card I do like that is common in these lists that I think we should see more often is Isolate. Just okay. very good exile-based removal against Orzov, against, you know, good against Luris Burn. Um, this is another just quality exile removal spell in a world of Luris. We're seeing so much exile uh, because the value of it is so high. This is a card that you and I have mentioned from time to time as being a possible good sideboard card. And because, you know, it's it's kind of like 
the abrupt decay thing, right? Like abrupt decay is just kills almost everything format because when you're in older formats, you only play the good cards, right? Like when you think of, like think about how good Chalice for one is in modern, and then how good it is in Legacy, because it just counters eighty percent of the format because everything costs one. And eventually, the format's going to become more and more and more like that, right? And a lot of these decks that are really good, like when you, especially when you have Luris being the most popular companion, it's going to play into cards like Isolate being good. And I think you're going to see more of this card in the future. Yeah, no, it's very clear. Like you know, we're in a new world, but we're in we're at the point where people are figuring things out, and you're seeing sideboards change. You're seeing everybody adjust, and you know, on those opening weekends when Luris was dominating almost every format or Yorian too. You know, they were taking advantage of formats that were unprepared. You know, people didn't have enough graveyard hate, didn't have enough exile-based removal. They, you know, were probably relying on old play patterns and were getting punished by Lyris. Uh, so, you know, all of that helps to inflate uh, powerful new cards. If a card is, like, very obviously powerful and fits into an already reasonable deck like Lyris did with Orzhov-Oras, like... It's very easy to take advantage of an unprepared field, but oh, yeah. we're, we're now seeing prepared fields. We're seeing, you know, you're still seeing those decks around, but they're not dominating. Oh, absolutely. Um, big fan of this deck. I don't know if I'd ever play it. I mean, I could definitely be convinced to. I think I'm it's really it. cool. I'm, I'm officially off of trying to make heroic decks work. I'm just, <laughs> you're, you're, you're off trying to make fetch happen. I just don't think there's any reason to play this deck over Orzhov Auras that is like doing a very similar thing, but I think as a, you know, just more powerful uh, at doing it and a little bit more consistent in doing it. And then, uh, nor is it like, it's, if, I guess it's less powerful at doing like the synergy driven aggressive thing that it's doing than Orza Wars, and it's less consistent than Lurus Burn. And so I just don't see a reason to play it over either of those decks. Okay. I can get behind that. I'm off it. There was one more deck that I'm kind of on that we wanted to talk about today because this one's pretty cool. Uh, I have to believe this was written on a napkin. If you understand yes, this inside joke, literally like the, tin... the, the deck's name is Grixis Napkin. Yeah, so it's called Grixis Napkin. For those Grixis aficionados, Ryan Overturf top aided the Lotus Box event this weekend with a Grixis deck. And uh, the, it has the same problem that I always have with these Grixis decks. It has a mana base only a mother could love. Um, this one's not that bad, but I'm just. The mana is just always so rough. Two basic and, islands in your Croxa deck is. Uh, yeah. It's rough. Yeah, the, the six basic land, four fabled passage deck, because my mana is just un, unpalatable, you know? He, I will. He could so, really use a, uh, a Grixis Triome. Oh, yeah. We might get those eventually. We'll see. Maybe in, like, eight years when we go back to Ikoria, <laughs> or, like, six years when we go back to Ikoria. It matters how well the set sells and how, how much they got to fill in the gap somewhere. Uh, one cool thing about this deck, you know, if you take a look at this list, there's a Soul Guide, Guide Lantern Main Another sideboard, and I remember Ryan saying they were. It was actually really good for him all yeah. weekend. Like he got Luris decks. You know, it's like it's good against Lotus Breach. Just another card that can fit in the curve really well, since it only costs one mana, and you get to kind of like you know have that main deck thing that interacts with your opponent. We saw this actually happen in Standard for a tiny bit of time, where people were main decking like one or two of these cards because it does replace itself at some point, you know. And so like, and if it has a big effect on the game, then it's worth its slot for sure. And then if not, it does kind of like pseudo cycle late in the game. And this is a deck that, you know, can make itself go decently long. I actually like it quite a bit against Inverter. I remember back when I was playing uh, Is It in Soul, I would side in Tormod Script against Inverter. Just because one of the easiest ways for them to win was, you know, turn four Inverter, turn five, kill you. And if you have Tormod Script in play, they can't do that. They have to combo yeah, all in one down. turn. Just enough, right? Yeah. yeah. Lantern does that same thing. 
But the issue with Tormod's Crypt was, like, once we got past turn four or five, I had this, like, awkward spot where do I want to sacrifice it and maybe keep them off dig? If I do that, maybe I, like, make a kill easier for them. And it, it just didn't really get you a lot of value. You know, it, it, you basically spent a full card on just slowing your opponent down. And this, you get that, uh, you know, slow them down effect, but then you just get to cash it in for a card later, which is really, really nice. So... Uh, you know, th that strikes me as a great one of, obviously, just good with Luris. You know, you can start generating card advantage with it uh, and really contain, you know, the opposing graveyard. I've been doing that with a lot of success with Nile Spellbomb in uh, in Modern. But, you know, when I look at this at this deck, it's very clearly just a Croxa deck. Right? Yeah, you see it really trying hard with, like, yeah. Dispersal and uh, Strategic Planning, a card that we haven't seen that much lately in this format. But, you know, we saw a lot of early with cards like you know Arclight Phoenix, which by the way is still legal. We, you know that that deck hasn't really done anything, but a lot of early one and two mana cards. And this is a Luris deck too. Don't forget that you know it's permanents come back with Luris, and you have Croxa and Jace to be doing that with. So I like this deck. It's, it, it it doesn't have the typical problem that I had with other Grixis deck where they're trying to play these like really weird like four mana cards, like Nic the Nicobol is like creature, and then like the five mana Nicobol is Planeswalker that's like very hard to cast. Your lands don't come into play on tap too often. You're taking a lot of damage to do that. But, like, this deck is very lean and mean. Now, this deck has a very clear plan of what it's trying to do. Um, it does it very well. It is a low creature count deck. So, like, you would think that a lot of the time you don't want that much removal in your deck against them. But if you don't kill Croxa and Jace and Luris, they're all going to take over the game. So it's only nine creatures, but they're all must-answer threats which is really nice. So you kind of force your opponent into this squeeze where they want to have a bunch of removal in their deck, uh, but if they draw too much of it, you're just going to take over going long. You know, Crocs is going to get a couple cards. Luris is going to get a card back. Uh, you know, Jace, you know, is the only one that, you know, isn't guaranteed to generate card advantage. Uh, so, and then you have, you know, K-Command to bring them back when they're good. Uh, you know, when you're Croxing them early, and thought seizing them, you can definitely strip away all their removal if that's something you want, or just lead them with all of it and like win this long game. Uh, so deck looks cool. Uh, a ton of removal, so your Lotus Breach matchup is probably pretty bad. Though you do see a lot of counter spells on the sideboard: four dispute, two Jace's defeat, two disdainful stroke. So you get to like bring out your dread bores and your fatal pushes. You still got these heartless acts in here. You can leave a Dreadbore to it, and it like, can at least kill Ugin if they go that route. You yeah, know, yeah, or... you probably leave in Dreadbore for that reason, but... Yeah, at least it's like not it a looks dead like you card. Afford... Oh, there's a Soul Guide Lantern you get to bring in, too, so you leave in one Dreadbore. Yeah, I think in that matchup, you're just like heavily leaning on your counter spells and your Thought Seizes and flashing those back with Jace Friends Prodigy when you can yeah. on Thought Seeds. Like, you get, to, that's you get to dig for your extra Thought Seizes and transform Jace really quickly when you're playing Strategic Planning and Discovery, Dispersal, and Opt. Uh, so, like, turn three, Jace Telepath Unbound is not at all, you know, out of the ordinary. You can go, yeah, you go, like, turn two, Jace, turn three, uh, strategic planning, and you need, if you Fable Passaged on one, mm -hmm. you get to Jace, but then you don't have Thoughtseize in your graveyard. So I guess you can't quite go, oh no, but if you Thoughtseize turn one, that's fine. So the, the curve of Thoughtseize into Jace into cast strategic planning, well, transform Jace, flashback Thoughtseize... Yeah. Is it really nice? Yeah. Um, I did actually watch a good bit of Ryan's stream with this, and the deck looked really cool, and he always plays it really well. You know, he always plays his own creations very well, but 
I watched him lose to the, like, the Lurus Burn deck, and that matchup seems like it could be kind of rough if you don't draw enough early interaction, because you have your four Fatal Pushes, and that's pretty much it for the first couple turns. Like, you have the Dread Bores too, right? But if you don't draw multiple of them, like, they're probably going to kill you or whatever, because your mana base isn't great, you take a bunch of damage. And some people mentioned Collective Brutality, and he was kind of off it, but that is a card that you could maybe think about, right? Like, you know, it's another kind of effect that you could have that hits the hands of, like, Lotus Breach or whatever, but is also decent in the the aggro matchups while it can still feed your graveyard for cards like Jace and, and, and Groxa and stuff. So the, the, the problem is that that card is so bad against Orzhov Auras. It's one of the yeah. weird things about metagaming in Pioneer is that the two aggro decks you would generally play very different removal against. Good point. Um, so, like, you see there's three copies of Liliana's Triumph there in the sideboard. That's a nod to saying, like, I need to beat Auras. Yeah. And then obviously you, you want to have access to Deadweight when you're a Lurus deck. So there's just no room for Brutality. I do think Brutality yeah, is kind of cool. Um, you don't have a lot... You really don't have anything to discard for value except for Croxa. So you get to, like, bypass the mediocre two-mana, you know, uh, Raven's Crime mm-hmm. uh, by just pitching it with the, the Brutality and then, like, you know, kill a creature and dress them and set up your Croxa quickly because I also think that's going to be really important against Burn. Um, but, it, yeah, the, you know, if you had... If Ors of Ors wasn't really a thing and all you had to do was prepare for burn as far as aggro decks go, then those triumphs could definitely be brutalities. But when you when you gotta prepare for the Auras deck too, I think you've gotta really get help there because they're actually pretty well set up against spot removal with Karamector's Blessing and Alcyon. Absolutely. Uh, I think this deck's cool. Um I here's the thing. I, I, I give them shit, right? I always talk shit about the the like mana basis of this deck. I love these decks. Don't get me wrong. I love a good Grixis deck. It's like exactly what I want to do in Magic. It's definitely my favorite color combination. You know, it's like my favorite Delver deck of all time is Grixis. You know, I like Grixis Control and Modern, believe it or not. Why are you giving me such a stink face? I hate decks like this. Oh, they're and not I good. I hate Grixis. They're Grixis not good. Might, I didn't Grixis say they were good. Grixis might be my least favorite color combination. It's so bad. I'm allowed to be irrational, especially about Magic, right? Like, I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying it's like... I like these decks where you're like, my creatures are really cool and good and valuable. All my cards like stop you from doing stuff or like say no or kill your shit. And then like, I'll just value up. Grixis is not the worst three color combination. The worst one is Mardu. Well, yeah, of course. Because the best colors are blue and green and Mardu doesn't have any of them. And it's just all, it's the three removal colors. And it has white in it. Yeah. Oh yeah. Black and white are the worst colors, which is why I'm playing them in both of my decks right now. Yeah, exactly. That's why both of my decks yeah. are base. Are like my modern deck of choices is, is just Orzov, and my pioneer deck of choice right now is Orzov Splash for Seder Wayfinder. It's funny too because like we're getting back to the point where Fatal Push and Thoughtseize are better again, right? Especially Thoughtseize because like it, you know uh, Inverter and Lotus Breach are becoming more popular again, and those the, that card's good against those. Where like a week ago, you know, you saw these decks that like they were just mono Luris decks, and you would cast Thoughtseize them, and they're like, yeah, sure. And these like show you their hand, and they're like, I'm just gonna get all this shit back. Like, yeah. You know, like, you could Thoughtseize anything you want, it's coming back. Like, you know, so... Yeah, Th- Thoughtseize is not very good against Lurus decks, but it is very good against the anti-Lurus decks. Yeah, so it, it's it's an interesting spot to be in. And I, I think Pioneer's like, if this kind of keeps up, I'm going to be happy, right? Like, all these decks everywhere, like, reasons to... F- like, you know what I mean? You're not just down to, like, three decks, and you're like, this is the build, play these decks. Like, you're... you're people are changing ideas, they're brewing... And they're they're metagaming really well, right? Like you're seeing specific removal spells, specific counter spells. Like I hadn't seen the Stainful Stroke in a while, and that card's back, you know, and stuff like that. So I like seeing the diversity that's going on, especially this week. It looked super diverse in all the events, and I thought I'm excited about that. 
Yeah, no, uh, I'm. This is, but I mean, this is as good as I could have imagined for this set of results in terms of the how it reflects the health of Pioneer. I was pretty soured on the format, uh, you know, in part because I just kept losing for the last couple of weeks, but also because it seemed like the metagame had really narrowed. Like we had our five decks, and even before Ikoria, it was kind of a similar way, right? You know, there was there was the Heliod deck, there was Inverter. There was, like, spirits a little bit of, you know, and, and not much else. And, like, uh, you know, it, it felt like we just had a very similar metagame, but with companions added. Where, like, you know, Luris elevated some of the aggro decks, which actually, you know, improved the diversity of the metagame. Uh, but then, you know, the Yorian, Yorian just went into old decks. Lotus Breach was still around. Uh, and there wasn't much else going on. But this week, there's so much else going on with these rally decks, hardened scales, heroic, you know, cycling... Uh, a bunch of new stuff and you know not all of it is going to stick around a lot of these things are going to be flashes in the pan but it goes to show you that there's still a lot of space to be explored and it, you know kind of reminds me of modern you know modern like six years ago seven years ago was like malira pod and twin and jund uh and but it, it just it took a while after the first couple years of modern to, for people to explore other stuff you know, like Lantern Control and Amulet Titan existed in Modern for a long time before anybody put them together. And I think Pioneer is going to be somewhat similar, and we're going to find things that existed for a while, but nobody found them yet. And we're finally going to, you know, bring them to the forefront. And obviously, like, add, you know, every time we add a new set, we, there's the potential to make old cards good again. So uh, it, it's nice to see that, you know, we haven't... Uh, mind the the well dry in only seven months i don't even know it is it feels the longest seven months of my life ross by the way but uh all right so i have an important question for you yeah you're playing in a pioneer event tomorrow which plan i'm playing abzan rally all right i'm playing the cycling deck with the fires deck backed up i'm very scared of both of those matchups with my abzan rally deck yeah, obviously I'm going to play a deck that beats you. Like <laughs> less so the cycling deck I think, but definitely I'm I'm afraid of the the planeswalker deck playing Absent Rally. Yeah, for sure. Especially like if that deck draws fires, I think that deck is very good. Yeah, and they have they have Fey of Wishes to grant it for Grafticker's Cage. That's the real problem. Like if they if they were just trying to sweep me, it would be fine, but they also have good access to Cage every game, even game 1. It's kind of messed up. I guess this is why we, you know what, when they printed Cage into, what was it, like, M20 or whatever, like, the, the, the core set, and I was like, oh, this is kind of cool, it's like a, a card that's played modern and in, in Legacy, you know, they're giving us on the reprint, and I was like, I should have seen the writing on the wall, it's like, we're about to get some messed up magic cards, you know, <laughs> we are getting Escape, and we were getting Companion, and they knew when they were making that set, they're like, we need this card to be in standard for a little bit, you know, so they, they gave us some of that stuff, so it's very interesting. All right, another important question, what am I making tomorrow for Cinco de Mayo, what should I do? Uh, well, you should make a breakfast burrito in the morning. Okay. Though that's more Tex-Mex. Yeah. Um, and you should Tortilla definitely make, with every meal. You should make fresh guacamole. That's that's already given with, with red onion. Make sure you use red onion. Um, you, optional diced tomatoes. If you like them, you can go for them. Not necessary. Uh, but the red onion is necessary. Um, and, um... I mean, so, uh, given my vegetarianism, it's hard for me to recommend, uh, you know, what meat you should be eating. Yeah. But uh, I have soy chorizo. Yeah. 
That would work. Whatever you eat, you, you got to do it with some black beans. I've actually oh, yeah. been planning in my head to make a pot of black beans. Maybe I'll do it tomorrow for Cinco de Mayo because it's really, it's so easy to do in the pressure cooker. It's really, it's really funny. I was more looking for like a generic answer instead of like a list of ingredients. Yeah. Because you start, you start going over the stuff where you're like, oh, first guac with this and that. And I'm like, you do know who my wife is, right? And like, she would just laugh at you for half this stuff, you know, or whatever. But no, it's fine. We're going to, I'm going to have some fun with it, make some food, try to try to enjoy myself. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I'll try to convince you to do the same, though. I have a feeling you're going to be a curmudgeon and not go to the grocery store or whatever, which I can't I just have a, Well, I I have all the ingredients I need to make my pot of beans. That's our, that's already here. I have a decent bit of it. Yeah, I was going to say, so you have to let me know if you make your, your, your beans tomorrow. Let me know how good they are. I'll take some pictures. We'll do uh, we'll do a, a food picture exchange. You Sounds know. like a plan. And we know where also we can put those pictures in the the food category in yeah. our discord channel yeah i'm i'm very looking forward to what yeoman and a couple other people do tomorrow to oh see yeah if they, to see if they have some like or the the God, I, forgot, I forget his name chef so i think it's some of the p I, I literally just petro yeah i think that's it I, I wanted to say that but i didn't want to be wrong i hold on petro, I'm like, maybe yeah i'm like scrolling through trying to find him but i'm very interested to see what he's what he does tomorrow if he posts some pictures or whatever of it so uh, if anybody's hearing this, it's going to be after, but you made any cool food and you uh, you saved some pictures, definitely hit us up in the food check, uh, section of our, our Discord. I'm super excited. So, uh, you know, uh, if you are, you know, a patron, you do get access to our mailbag submission in the uh, Discord channel, and you can just ask us questions. And we've got a couple here. First two are from our editor, Brent. And the first one is, uh, oh, okay. So Brent posted it, but apparently it's from Brandon Matthews. Uh, and he says, as I spend most of my time in the food section of the Discord, the first part of my question involves that. I noticed Ross on a few occasions drinking wine on stream. And since I work at a winery, I'm really interested in what your favorite wine is. And I have a bottle of it right here, which I have hidden from Tannen for this occasion. And my favorite wine is Malbec. It is an Ar generally Argentinian wine. Um, I, it's a red, and that's really all I know about it. But it tastes delicious. It's generally like it's a little fruity, but not super fruity. Uh, so a little fruit forward, just enough. Uh, yeah, and it's like kind of middle of the road in terms of sweet or dry. Um, okay. I, I don't like wine that's too dry. I don't like it too sweet. I like Same. a very middle of the road there. But it's very full bodied, and that's what I like. I don't like, like a, a sort of thin, watery wine. wine. Yeah, it's a robust red wine. So I, I drink generally Malbec. Though I did also get a bottle of. Uh, Montepulciano d'Abruzzo when I was at the store a couple days ago. That was fun. That, that was a fun name to say. Oh, yeah. I got, I got, I decided to get an Italian wine because I was making pasta. So I was like, oh, I'll get an Italian red wine. Uh, and that one was pretty good. A little too dry for me, but not like barely. I'm actually going to answer this question as much as I can. As I say, I'm not a, not a sommelier or anything. You know, I'm not like super into, into wine or whatever, but there's some stuff that I definitely like. Um, Especially if I'm eating, it depends on what I'm eating a lot of the time, right? But if I'm eating meat, especially like a steak or something like that, any kind of like red meat or something like that, I really like red wine, particularly uh, Cabernet Sauvignon. And I really, really like Napa Valley from like the mid to late 2000s. Just randomly, I just know that I like like 2007 or 2008 all the way up to like, I don't know, I think I've had up to like 2012 and really liked it. I think I may have told you the story about how like I had saved a bottle. Did I tell you about this? I had no. saved a bottle. So before I moved to Las, Las Vegas, I was I was living in Baton Rouge. I was living with my brother. He, like, you know, had a house. This is before he was with his current wife. You know, he hadn't met her yet. He met her, like, the week. It's funny. We, we, we met our significant others around the same time. It was right when I was about to leave for Vegas. But anyway, 
So it's it's uh, me and him living in a house. You know, he's giving me a, you know a good rent, so I was I, I liked it. But uh, I had like my little like liquor area, you know, where I would keep my stuff, and I had a couple bottles of wine. And there's one bottle of wine that I kept because it was like the specific you know brand uh, from Napa, like a specific year that I really liked. And when I moved, I did not bring it with me. Right, I just like left it there in that area, and I was like, ah, whatever, you know, blah blah blah. I remember, like one of the first times I visit, I come back, and him and him and his wife are dating at the time. And I come back, and I like sleep or whatever. I don't remember, but I remember one of the nights I'm there. I'm like, oh, I want a drink or whatever. And I was like, you know what? I've got that bottle of wine there. And I get excited, right? And I go to the, like the little liquor cabinet, and it's just it's just not there. And so I ask, you know, I'm like, hey Chad, uh, where's this bottle? And he's like, oh man, we drank that. I kind of give him this like, look, you know, I'm not like upset or anything. Like I kind of, you know, I'm like, this is my fault. I left the bottle here, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. I kind of look at him. I'm like, well, at least tell me you enjoyed it. And he looks at me and he goes, not really. And I go, oh, you, you didn't like it? And he goes, well, you know, uh, it, it, I won't name names, but it was like his wife was over uh, at the time, you know, his girlfriend at the time. And he's like, we were just drinking like crazy. And we were like pretty drunk. And it was already like three in the morning, so nowhere was open. So we were just like out of alcohol. So I just popped open the bottle of wine and we just drank that. I'm like, oh, so you didn't even get to enjoy it or taste it. And you just drank my bottle of wine. And he's like, yeah, my bad. Do you want me to replace it? And I'm like, it's kind of hard to do that. And he's like, what do you mean? I was like, that's a very specific bottle from like a very specific time. I was like, I don't even know how much it is right now. You know, I think I think it was from Martini, like the, the company, you know, Martini or whatever. But like, whatever. Anyway, I was just like, yeah, I really loved that bottle. So yeah, he just... Got sloshed one night, drank it, didn't even probably didn't even taste it. You know, they were just downing wine and stuff. So I was like, all right, I can accept it if he if he like was like, yeah, it was good. You know, we had it with like a nice dinner or something. You know, I was trying to impress her. You know, that's what I was expecting. Not we were shit faced and out of alcohol. It couldn't go anywhere. So yeah, that's uh, that's a beat. Yeah, still want some more of that wine. Anyway, second part of the question. Uh, from the Discord from Brandon Matthews. I've been playing Bant Control and Modern since Uro's release, so I feel like I have a good understanding of the deck. But what I can't understand is why everyone seems to be moving to Yorion. The deck seems to have a similar value game plan, but an 80-card deck makes sideboarding, let alone the deck itself, so inconsistent. Does Cord make up for that? Is it all about the 8th card and the opening hand value? I just don't get it. Lure sure, but Yorion. Uh, my answer is really short and quick. I do think it's more about the value, right? Like you get this opening card in your hand. Yorion is very, very good. And while I think it does decrease the value of your deck and consistency, I don't think it does it enough that having that extra card in your hand isn't worth it. Yeah. And that inconsistency gets mitigated by the cards that you still choose to add. Uh, so like all these band control decks are playing abundant growth, just another cantrip, another way to like help out your mana base, but also just gets blinked by Yorian, so you you know draw maybe two or three cards off of it, which is a huge boon. Um, and you know you're playing more, uh, you know cheap cantrips. You could play things like Omen of the Sea. Like you're seeing a lot of decks that are moving to Yorian, adding cards like that in those extra slots, so that they can tear through their deck more efficiently, find the key cards. Uh, you know uh, with uh, close to the same consistency uh and uh, you know mitigate the disadvantage of going up with yorian and then reap the rewards so it really is about what cards you choose to put in to help mitigate that issue yeah that seems fair to me seems really good and uh i'm gonna read the next question for you because i'm also gonna let you answer this one and it's it's kind of uh kind of related but you're gonna understand why i want you to answer this one so this one's from quinn o'grady Slightly math-based question regarding Orion deck building here. So obvious reasons why Ross gets this one. But 
We're converting an archetype to uh, that usually is very land heavy. Banuro from Standard is an example. Uh, from 60 cards to 80 cards, should I adjust the land percentage? Uh, I could see all three options. Lower, don't change, raise as viable. And I'm curious on your thoughts. Lower because you don't want to flood going late. And larger because deck size mitigates the deck thinning and scrying and fetching. Don't change, uh, sorry, don't change since being land heavy is beneficial for these types of decks. Actually go up because you really want to hit five mana on five. And the extra 20 cards are usually permanents with the battle, enter the battlefield card advantage effects. So you're less likely to flood, flood if you flood you're less likely to flood if you can't just cast your spells so uh in general you're going to keep your ratio about the same all things being equal but from the previous question we know that these yorian decks are playing lots of cheap permanent based cantrips omen of the sea abundant growth uh you know what have you and when you're playing a lot of cards like that especially things like arkham's astrolabe that don't let you control the draw or abundant growth similarly in pioneer those cards lead to flooding because they effectively you know thin your deck uh but you can't rely on them to be lands uh unless you have a huge number of them so uh because those lead to flooding you when you have a lot of them in your deck you tend to you know slightly reduce the uh ratio of lands in your deck and i think that's generally what we've seen um, you know, like, you know, Bant Yorian plays a lot less lands than you would think because they're playing Seder Wayfinder too, another way to reduce variance. The Sultai decks are playing four Traverse and Seder Wayfinder when they go up to Yorian. The, uh, Heliod decks aren't, the Heliod decks are kind of the exception here. And uh, they are, you know, not playing as many cheap cantrips really because they're already playing fourth Raven Inspector and they don't really have like the ability to play anymore. You can like sort of count to fairy, I guess. Uh, but you need to be playing, you know, white permanents to build your devotion. And that deck is generally playing a similar ratio. You know, they were, pl they were playing like 25, 26 lands before. Now they're playing, I think, 34. And that is probably about as close as you're going to get uh, to the same ratio. So it doesn't, in the abstract, it doesn't affect it uh, very much. But the fact that you want to be adding cheap cantrips in order to reduce the inherent variance of putting 20 extra cards in your deck also means that you want to reduce your land ratio slightly because those cheap cantrips increase your propensity to flood. That makes a lot of sense. And uh, there's some math behind it. I'm sure that you've done the actual math. I'm never going to touch that. So if I ever play one of these Orient decks and I need to brew or mess with it, I'm not just stealing a list. I'm coming straight to you, Ross. So I'm here. Ready? I'm here for you, Tannen. Yeah. Well, if you ever need someone to flip a Delver, I'm, I'm, I'm here for you. That's about the extent... I need what I need are people to not flip their Delvers because I'm pretty sure every time I play against Grixis Delver in Modern, they just they have never missed. I haven't got to play with that deck yet. What turn the game Delver transforms immediately every time. Yeah, I haven't got to play with that deck yet, and I'm a little little upset about that. It is a fun deck. Mishra's Bobble with Sprite Dragon is nice. Also with Luris, like that just seems like my kind of thing. I would have to <clears throat> excuse me. I'd have to get like quite a bit of games in because like. The sequencing seemed a little different, you know, because, like, you know, anyone can cast, ponder, brainstorm, and fetch, and do all that stuff, but, like, to do it correctly, like, I'm not even sure I still do it correctly all the time, you know what I mean? And you've got to put in a lot of time and effort, and when you start incorporating delayed draw 
triggers. Yeah, and fetch lands and, you know, looking at the top of your deck and then looking at it with Delver. There's a lot of, like, additional looks you can get if you sequence optimally with that deck. And that's one thing I notice when I'm playing against it. If I have an opponent that is doing everything optimally, I know, like, they're on top of their shit. Yeah, and they're probably going to beat the crap out of you. <laughs> yeah, you know, I had one person today, I was playing the, the modern super qualifier, and, like, they just... They bobbled me in response to a Stitcher supplier trigger. Yeah, that's not... Which was very strange. Yeah. It was yeah. a blood gas. It was a blood gas, by the way. F F6 value. <laughs> yeah, I guess. They just really wanted the F6 value. Couldn't wait. Uh, and that, that's kind of a sign to me that the, my opponent is a little inexperienced with the deck. Yeah, probably one of the first times trying it out. Or first times having those kind of cantrips all together. You know, like... Because I'm not going to lie. It'd be daunting, like... I remember, um, there's a very good one. I remember uh, when Dylan Hand was like up and coming on the SCG tour. Uh, you and I, we played against him multiple times at like team events, right? They, they would always be like right on the cusp of late. I think they ended up top eighting one of them. But I'd always play against him in Legacy, and he would be playing like the Eldrazi Stompy deck, and I'd be playing, you know, Grixis Delver. And it'd be one of those matchups where they always feel like they have a, a good matchup. And I remember after like the second or third time in a row that I beat him, you know, he was like, maybe I should change decks. Maybe I should try that one out. So I was like, here, I just like hand him my deck. You know, because it's like, we made top eight and they missed, so like, we have that hour. And I handed my deck, and I'm like, here, play it against somebody, and I want to watch you play. And I was like, watching him play, and the first time he cast Brainstorm, I'm pretty sure his head exploded. You know, he just flipped <laughs> the three cards in his hand, and I just like, you can see me. And I'll never remember this, he just looks at his hand, looks at me, looks at his hand, looks at me, and he goes, what do I do? <laughs> and I'm like, you figure it out. Like, you know, if I tell you what to do, you're not going to learn, you know? Yeah. So, and I, I can see myself playing with the modern version as being like, I... I I would probably take, like, it'd be like a Ross-level tank on, like, turn one on, like, how to sequence all my stuff. Because, you know, I'm I'm deliberate, too, but not to the extent that you are at times. Like, I play oh, yeah. a little faster on average, and then the deliberate turns, I might take a little extra time than you because I'm truly trying to figure everything out, so. Whereas I'm not. I'm just wasting everyone's time. You're just wasting everyone's time. It's like the shuffling thing. Like, I, like you shuffle so much and for so long. Yeah, you reminded me of the first time I was playing Brainstorm and Legacy after playing a year of Maverick and a year of Elves, and I played Storm at the the Open in Philadelphia where I lost to Daryl Ayers in the finals, and I I the first I remember the first time I like had a pretty bad hand where I'd like flooded you know like my first two draw steps were like lands, and then I drew a Brainstorm and like drew three spells and was like oh my god, my my hand went from unplayable to you know, unlosable. Best possible, <laughs> yeah. of one, one turn. This is, is that, great. Is that when you got curd-aped? Yes, I got curd-aped in that finals because it was the Treasure Cruise era and everybody was playing Forked Bolt. Yeah. And so he was playing curd-ape instead of Nimble Mongoose because Nimble Mongoose and Cruise was a nombo and curd-ape was another one drop that couldn't be Forked Bolted. Nice Forked Bolt, idiot. You know, kind of thing. I remember watching that on camera and just laughing when you lost. Like, no offense or whatever, but just like, obviously I'm rooting for the Delver and the Delver player at the time. Uh, I don't even think you and I were like super good friends then. You know, we're like, I think we were friends on Facebook. Apparently we've been friends on Facebook for a while or whatever I saw. So we probably had some interaction at some point and did it or something. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I I, I've played a couple tournaments in Vegas. So we probably like met during one of those or something. Yeah, something like that. And like, or friends of friends. You know, I've been friends with Calcano and stuff for a long time. So, and like some some other mutual friends that we have and stuff. So we, probably we're both be. old. That works as well. That's that's also very true. Um, yeah. I know this is really random. I'm kind of going to. Think, I'm, I'm trying to decide like what to eat tonight for dinner. Like we have some leftovers, or should I like make something new? But then I'm gonna like probably do stuff for tomorrow, and I can't decide. But uh, did I tell you about what we uh, what I made yesterday? No. So I made like a sushi casserole 
like a sushi bake thing. So it's like it's like a casserole dish and just like you know just threw some ingredients together. I like took rice, layered the bottom roll uh, row of it with rice. Was it sushi rice? Did you like treat it with vinegar? Uh, no, but it was just like I. It was just regular rice, but it was like okay. you know it can it gets together pretty well. I don't have like actual sticky rice. And I didn't want to do the whole thing. We we're just trying to throw something together real fast. And uh, so I did that, like covered it with like a layer of nori. And then, like, after that, we had a bunch of, like, the, uh, you know, the crab that you get at, like, sushi places? Like, the the chunks of crab that you, whatever. I did that, like, chopped it all up or whatever. Covered it with that. Also, you mix the crab with, like, cream cheese and mayonnaise. Or, I'm sorry, sour cream and mayonnaise. I know this doesn't sound very good or healthy, but it, like, it makes it taste like it does at the restaurants. Just add fat to everything. Yeah, so you just cover it with a layer of that. And then, like... There's a seasoning that we just randomly happen to have, but it's like the seasoning they use, and then like you can use like sesame seeds and stuff. And then you you can bake it, but like I don't think you should. You just like broil it for a few minutes to kind of like lightly toast it and brown it. Yeah, and, and then you just, everything through and yeah, you just serve it up and yeah, eat it. And, game. and so I did. Uh, I even went a little bit longer further on the fat because we weren't we didn't have all of the exact uh, like exact ingredients that I wanted for it, but we wanted like some kind of sauce so it wouldn't be like really dry but not a ton of it so what i did was i took a little bit of the mayo and then i added uh like the sweet and hot uh asian sauce we have for like gojang or something like i forgot the name of it and then a little bit of like actual hot sauce gochujang is so good gochujang that's it yeah it's very good and then i just mixed all that up and it makes it like almost like a a sriracha mayo type stuff yeah and just you just add it to that and it was pretty damn good ross i did i did a good job you, you know, you've been to Martin's, right, in Roanoke, the bar downtown? I think so, yeah, yeah. Um, but the, they, uh, they you know, they're a, a bar, so they do wings, and one of their wing sauces is a gochujang sweet chili sauce. It's it's the easily the best one. I get it 95% of the time. I get cauliflower wings, by the way, in case anybody... Oh, I've made cauliflower wings. They're great. But uh, yeah. no, you're 100% right, because that's what it was. We needed uh, chili oil or whatever to, for, the, for, for something like that or whatever. And I knew we had it, and then I went and grabbed it. It expired like in 2018 or something like that. You know, we just had it in our pantry for like, you know, all the stuff that we, you know, I bought it for something a couple of years ago. You know, I just haven't used it since. And I was like, well, not, not try. Here's the thing if something says like Best Buy and it's been like a month or two, you're like, this is probably fine. You know, especially if you're going to like cook it or whatever, it's probably fine or whatever. But uh, when it's been expired for a few years, I'm not, I'm not trying that. I'm not that, I, I do not have an iron stomach. So just give it, give it the old sniff test. I'm not even doing that, man. That's too much. Also, my sense of smell sucks. Have you ever thought about this? So does mine. Yeah. My hearing sucks. My sense of cell, cell, smell sucks. My, my vision's fine, thankfully. It used to be really good, but too, too many too many hours staring at screens. Yeah. More, I'm getting worried about that. Mm-hmm. All right. So, something they might be worried about at home, if you wanted to listen to you more, watch you stream. Good segue. Good segue. Okay. It was, it was horrible. Or read some of your musings. Where would they go? Okay, first place is to follow me on Twitter. I'm at Ross Hunneds, R-O-S-S-H-U-N-N-E-D-S. Uh, you know, you'll find out about all the other stuff that I'm about to tell you about. And you, know, if you have questions, I do try to get back to people. Uh, so that's priority number one. Number two is my stream, which is twitch.tv slash Ross underscore Miriam, M-E-R-R-I-A-M. Uh, don't have a set schedule, but I generally try to like stream like, Wednesday afternoons, Usually I'll get one more evening in during the week and then two out of the three days on the weekend, Friday to Sunday, uh, I'll stream, you know, tournaments, challenges, Lotus Box events, things like that. So that's generally how I've been doing it. Um, 
And I appreciate any, you know, you know, watchers, followers, subscribers there. Then there is my written content. Uh, the last couple of weeks I've been a Friday publish. So, and that's going to be the same this week. So look for that on Friday uh, for my article. My plan, I haven't cleared it with our wise and powerful leader, Cedric Phillips. Uh, but my plan is to write about rally decks in Pioneer. So I'm going to try to play them a lot this week, get to know them, and then write an article about them for Friday. Uh, so if that's something you're excited about, look out for that. And then uh, Versus Live, which I co-host with Corey Baumeister twice a week. That's 1 to 4 p.m. Eastern on Tuesdays and Thursdays at the Star City Games Twitch channel. Same place you go to to watch open coverage. At least you did. Uh, and, you know, we generally play, you know, whatever's relevant. So right now, a lot of Modern and Pioneer. Uh, we've got, uh, you know, and we've got uh, user-submitted decks for Thursday. So if this goes live before then, or at least before Wednesday, which is when we will get the deck list in, uh, you can try to tweet at uh, me or Corey and use the hashtag Team Ross or Team Corey with your deck. Uh, you know, the hashtags are to tell us who you want to play it. And maybe you can see your deck played on versus live this week. So that's everything I'm doing. It, it keep, the list keeps getting longer, Tannen. I should do. I should do fewer things. I'm about to say like yours is oh, three times as long as mine. Yeah. It takes you a lot longer to go through the whole thing. That's why I let you go first. My, my trivia league is going to start up this like in a week and a half. I'm going to have to do that too. I'm trying to find. So I added a. Uh, I added a new channel uh, point reward for the stream. Have I told you about this? Uh, no. What's the new one? So it's for five thousand channel points, and I'm calling it the Jeopardy Sub Challenge, where you redeem your five thousand points. Then I go to jarchive.com, which is an online database of every Jeopardy question ever. If uh, The homepage of the J Archive shows you the most recent Final Jeopardy episode, or Final Jeopardy question, and a just random one from the database. So I'll go to the homepage. I will attempt to answer the random Final Jeopardy question that is there. If I am wrong, I gift you a sub. Nice. All right, I'm definitely doing this. If you're already subbed, I gifted to the channel. Yeah, uh, I'm definitely going to do this. I, I have actually been saving up points. If you have like twenty five thousand or something like that, because I was going to, uh, you do a what is it like ten k for a karaoke song? Yes. I was going to wait till I got up to like fifty thousand or something. I was going to make you just karaoke like four or five horrible songs in a row. You know, it's like <laughs> Britney Spears, like In Sync, like Fall Out Boy, just like you know stuff that you would hate, like over and over and over and over again. I, I don't want to announce this. Uh, on the cast because I don't want to encourage people, but I will tell you what the most annoying thing you could do off off camera. And if you want sure. to do it, maybe I'll let you. Sure. All right. But I might have to do this uh, free sub train thing that I got going on yeah. now that we just missed the the Jeopardy question enough. I'm I'm, I'm I might have to adjust the the price on that. I thought I wanted to make it 10k, but I don't want to have two 10ks. Yeah. And I'm like I'm gonna get like 60 percent of the questions right. Yeah. anyway so it's like, like seven and a half or something or whatever it's it's yeah it, i think it's worth more than the, the 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 song yeah but if if i end up uh if i end up you know losing out a lot i'll probably adjust raise the price i think you should raise the price on it maybe lower the price of the the song thing maybe make it 10 or something i don't know well, anyway the song thing has the potential to embarrass me tannin and i value like i value that really highly yeah that's that's why i have the price is high i don't know 5k is not that much if you watch enough ross so I usually just leave at least leave you on the other screen just to, to farm the points, yeah. you know? Apparently, an average viewer gets 220 channel points an hour. That's what Twitch told me. And subs are double that. Okay. So if you're even if you're a sub, you have to watch me for about, you know, 11, 12 hours. 
and double that if you're not a sub. I, that seems reasonable to me. Have a chance. All right, how many how many free subs do I get from all the times I had to play opens with you then? Because that was way more than eleven hours. <laughs> that, well, unfortunately, that those don't give you any channel points. I think I should get some. I think I think I'm owed some back pay here. <laughs> well, file that with Twitch. I'm gonna I'm gonna unionize the, and come Please after do. you. Please do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, all right. If anybody was more interested in like my personal stuff, my Twitter is at the Tannen Grace. Uh, lots of tweets about a lot of stuff on there. Good bit of magic stuff, you know, some other stuff too, but I'm really responsive on that program. So if you want to get in a chat with me, uh, make sure you do it on there. Um, I've also been streaming a decent bit lately. I think I, you know, mentioned it earlier in the show that I was streaming, you know, coming into this. Sorry, I know I sound weird. I'm like, got a little congestion going on from sneezing. My allergies are acting up. And um, my Twitch handle is just Tannen Grace. Uh, I don't, I don't have the, the Tannen Grace on there, but um, I stream a decent bit of Magic, a lot of runs to Mythic lately and Limited. Uh, we'll be playing a little bit of Constructed. I might play some Pioneer sometime soon if I feel like it. Also, some other games. I do do variety streaming on there. I do like Overwatch, uh, Poker, what's the other game? Warzone, you know, uh, the new Call of Duty. I have a lot of fun with that. And usually there's, you know, some friends in there too. So we're, we're kind of hamming it up while we're doing it as well. And we're trying to get good, you know, like we're trying to do as well as we can. So a lot of fun there. You can like watch me and us grow as players and stuff because... I don't know. We've been trying to figure that game out quite a bit. I like it a lot. So um, been having some fun with that. Um, as for the actual cast, it has have a Twitter itself. It's at cast pioneer. Uh, if you type in pioneer cast on there as well, you'll find it's pretty easy. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of announcements happen on there. We do a lot of retweeting of like what Ross said earlier, dope shit, cool deck lists, you know, a lot of five O's, a lot of cool things going on there and any announcements that were to happen, especially like the new show. Whenever the show goes live, it's immediately tweeted out with all the platforms at the phone there. If you go to that Twitter account, you may have heard us mention in the Discord, the link's in that Twitter. If you need the link for the Discord, otherwise just, you know, contact me or Ross, we can get it for you. Um, our Discord is popping, as I like to say. Well over 600 people in there. Lots of really, really cool sections to, to hang out in. A lot of really cool stuff going on in there. And there's a couple channels that you can only be in if you're a patron of the show. Uh, we have the mailbag submission section, like Ross mentioned earlier. You can ask us questions that we'll answer live on the show and mention your name. If you're if you're a patron of the show, there's also a channel um, where only patrons can talk to each other and talk to me and Ross, and we're probably a little more responsive in that one than the other ones because there's so many things in there. If you wanted to become a, a patron of the show, it's at Patreon.com/PioneerCast. We really really appreciate any help from anyone that you you know that you can afford right now. We have a two, five, and ten dollar tier going on right now. Yes, we do have rewards, lots of cool stuff. Uh, we even have some stuff in the works. I think Brent is. Uh, trying some stuff out he's like asking me about some stuff this week so we'll see about that but um we already uh have tokens made and as soon as the world slows down a little bit i guess is a good way to put it when everything gets back to normal just a little bit we'll have those sent out as soon as possible ross has got them on his desk right now i saw They're one on, yeah i saw one on My stream the other on night. Top of them right now it's a gorgeous gorgeous token i'm a big big fan uh made by england customs she is very talented very beautiful, and you should definitely check out her stuff and her website as well. Uh, lots of cool, really sweet magic memorabilia and tokens and stuff going on there. But <clears throat> that is about it for the uh, the show this weekend. For everything on the uh, for this episode, do you have anything else you wanted to say, Ross? No, I'm good. All right, cool. Well, everybody else, uh, stay home, stay safe, uh, do the right thing, and uh, we'll catch y'all next week. <laughs>